106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. It's just awfully good that someone with the temperament of Donald Trump is not in charge of the law in our country. Because you'd be in jail. Secretary Clinton. Is Bernie Sanders the biggest climate change hypocrite on the planet? Bernie Sanders laughed on Stephen Colbert's show about taking a private jet back and forth and back and forth between the Senate impeachment trial and his campaign events. A private jet. Watch. We have heard reports, and I would like to find out if you can confirm these, that in order to sit for the Senate trial and campaign in Iowa, you're going to be using private jets at night. Well, probably one jet. I don't know that we'll use... Multiple rides in a (laughs) private jet. Yes. Yes. Bernie laughs about taking a private jet. Ha, ha, ha. This is the man who claimed that the biggest national security threat facing our nation is climate change. Watch. The scientific community is telling us if we do not address the global crisis of climate change, transform our energy system away from fossil fuel to sustainable energy, the planet that we're going to be leaving our kids and our grandchildren may well not be habitable. And yet, Bernie Sanders is laughing about taking a private jet, burning jet fuel, fossil fuel that he is literally trying to ban in the Green New Deal. Bernie Sanders wants to force you to take a train but he'll take a private jet. Bernie Sanders wants to throw fossil fuel executives in prison for harming the environment, but he will blast carbon emissions all over Iowa if that means getting some votes. This this is the problem with socialism and so-called democratic socialism. The elites want to play by a different set of rules. What's okay for me is not okay for thee. You are banned from plastic straws because hashtag turtles. Bernie Sanders is dumping a carbon footprint bigger than the Grand Canyon. The point is, if carbon emissions causing climate change is really a crisis literally killing people, like the left claims, more of a threat to national security than ISIS, Bernie's words, not mine, then what's Bernie's excuse to be burning up umpteen gallons of jet fuel to take a private jet to campaign? Maybe we should ask the climate activist groups that endorse him. Don't forget about them. How can the Sunrise Movement, which claims to be dedicated to fighting to stop the climate crisis, endorse a candidate that laughs about his giant carbon footprint on his private jet? But maybe Bernie Sanders isn't the only flip-flopper here. In fact, if Bernie Sanders is serious about any of his own policies, how can he accept the support of a group like the Sunrise Movement funded by a billionaire? The very same kind of billionaire Bernie Sanders has declared to be immoral. Or maybe, maybe Bernie Sanders is just the biggest climate hypocrite on the planet. Except, you know, for Greta Thunberg, whose perpetual outrage is nowhere to be found when it comes to Bernie Sanders' climate crimes. Good day to you. This is Lou Benninger, and you're listening to No Hostages Radio podcast. And let's see. Um, 
This is our 42nd podcast, and the date on this one will be the 18th of January, 2020. You know how you normally, or maybe I should say I normally, write the wrong date of the year? For for something about 2020, there's something about it that... uh, Somehow I'm not making a mistake like I do every other year. So 2020 may have really stuck with me with this 2020. It seems like there's something significant about this year. <clears throat> Maybe the, other than just the the numerics of it, 2020. But uh, I've noticed that all these years, I for about a month or so, I'm writing the wrong year down. But here we go. It's uh, January 18, 2020, and this is our 42nd broadcast. Uh, welcome. If you're new, glad to have you, however you got here. So if you don't know about our website, you came here through a podcast source, uh, of no, and so you picked us up as No Hostages Radio, you can go to our website and uh at one spot there, if you just want to listen over your laptop or something at uh, nohostagesradio.com, you can listen to 40, now 42 broadcasts, plus uh, 84 uh, articles that I've written for the Territorial Dispatch, which is a conservative weekly paper here uh, in Marysville, California, where it's printed. It's actually hard copy. It's on the Internet at territorialdispatch.biz. You can read the whole paper cover to cover with all the ads. Um, and it's it's uh, kind of the alternative to other resources up here. And they do put, put out a hard copy. It goes out to about four counties up in this area. Let's see, Yuba, Sutter, Nevada, Calusa, and maybe Butte some. So you can read the articles I write there. Um you can reach me at Lou, L-O-U, at nohostagesradio.com, or you could text me or call me at 530-713-1838, 530-713-1838. So that's sort of the uh, the intro for each show, just how who we are, how, we, how you can get a hold of us, and all that sort of stuff. So um, we have six segments we're going to do today, and there'll be some clips in between that I think you'll find interesting. Um, so if you ever have something you uh, think I should cover or you think I missed something, don't don't hesitate to give me a shout-out. I get some nasty grams, not too many, but they don't really bother me. Uh, I'm okay with it. I always tell tell people there are about 50% of the people that like me, 50% that don't. Totally comfortable with that. I can't uh, have that many friends anyway. You can't keep up with all those people. So um, I wanted to just give a pitch at the beginning so I don't <clears throat> let it slip to the end. I run this program called Trauma Intervention Program. We go out on 911 calls to help uh, all the emergency responders of all the flavors, fire, law enforcement, all the agencies, uh, Bi-County Ambulance, which is the ambulance service in Yuba and Sutter County. We help them. We also work with Adventist Hospital, which is the hospital that serves Yuba, Sutter Counties and surrounding geog- geographic areas. 
and uh, we serve there as well. So we serve about 25, 26, 27 different agencies, jurisdictions. Uh, and we provide emotional, practical support to those that are uh, having the worst day of their life. Someone's died, the house burned, they've been in a bad car crash, they just got a phone call, so-and-so had a stroke at the hospital, stuff happens. So our people have been trained on what to do in those first few hours and where to get information that people need because frequently information is hard to come by or you don't know what to ask, you don't know what you can do, but we help people through those difficult times. And the reason I'm bringing it up today is that at the end of February, and starting with February 27th, we will begin our annual training for trauma intervention to bring on new people. So if you've been thinking about it or you you maybe had you were a recipient of some of our services, you think, oh, I'd like to do that for some other people sometime, or you heard about us or your friend does it, or you saw a poster, we just do this once a year and it never fails. Right after we train, within the first week, I'll get a few calls where they see the poster and they'll say, oh, I want to be involved. And it is very awkward because then I have to say, well, it's a big training. It costs a lot of money for us to put it on, but not doesn't cost you very much money. And uh, But we won't do it for another 12 months. And people go, oh, I can't believe that. And so it's an annual training. We do it over a two-week period. There are eight sessions. There, If it's uh, during the week, it's always at night. And if it's on the weekend, it's during the day. So we try to make it as painless as possible. And uh, we guarantee that it's not going to be boring. So if you ever, <clears throat> if you got a, uh, people say, well, I, I don't know whether I'm experienced. We will give you the experience you need as long as you have a cool head and warm heart. Some people aren't cut out for this, just like some people aren't cut out to be uh, law enforcement or a nurse or a doctor. You know, sometimes people just aren't wired for it. Some of my friends say, Lou, I, I, I like what, what you're doing. But I would never do it myself, but I'll help you. I'll, I'll support you financially or they'll do something for me. And so that's fine. But you may be the perfect person to do that. You may have some time. So each of our volunteers, uh, once they're trained, they agree to serve for three 12-hour shifts a month. They're not always on call. But when they're on a shift that they help pick, uh, they are ready to drop what they're doing and go to a call. Three shifts a month, 12 hours, 7 to 7. You can pick the night or the day. And then we have a training a, uh, a training a meeting once a month in Yuba City on the second Thursday night of each month. So pretty simple. It doesn't dominate your life. You, we're not asking you to have tip consciousness or go sit in an office somewhere. You don't have to do that. We don't even have an office. So if you are interested, you can dial me up at 530-713-1838. You can uh, go to our website and check us out at yubasuttertip.org, yubasuttertip.org, and you could email us right off that site. But if you just dial me up if you have, or text me if you, have, if you want me to answer your questions, and I will email you uh, a schedule of each of the dates, it's the 27th, 28th, 29th, May 1, those are the first four days. And it's May 3, May 5, May or sorry, March 3, 5, 6, and 7. And uh, I can give you all the times for those as well. And a printed copy, I'll send it to you. Email or snail mail, whatever you prefer. 
So you can text me at 530-713-1838, or you can just call that and leave a voicemail. I'm not going to take a call while I do this show. Um, and occasionally um, I'm busy doing other things in a meeting, teaching or something. And But I will call you back. I always get back to people. So, um, all right. I wanted to uh, encourage you today. Uh, let me just get over here to the right spot where I wanted to be. I wanted to encourage you, if you're not registered to vote, <clears throat> that you need to get registered to vote. Now, this year, they say that you can register right up, this is in California, right up to the time that you actually want to vote. You could actually register the day of the election. But some of you may use as an excuse, if you never registered before, you may use as, as an excuse to not do it at all. And I just want to encourage you, listen, if you've never voted in your life, you, you need to start voting. Uh, elections have consequences. And if you wonder, how in the world did California get so screwed up? How in the world did whatever state you're living in get so screwed up? How did this country get so screwed up? It got screwed up because we, if, whether you voted or not, you voted. Somebody stole your vote. When you said, ah, it doesn't do any good, somebody else's vote was worth twice as much power had twice as much or three times or four times as much pop because they voted for something you wouldn't have ever voted for, but they didn't have your vote voting against them. And so when you are passive, you are voting. You you are saying, I don't give a damn. And just hold that thought because when they come and try to tell you how much water you can use, that we're not going to give you any more water anymore like that. Or we're going to fine you $1,000 each instance you go over, or $10,000. Or we're going to take, or you, we're not going to allow you to buy what, a weapon, a shotgun, or ammo, or, 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 or. There's just more rules, more rules, more rules. Then uh, just hold that thought. Don't give a damn, right? So right now in Virginia, they're getting ready to confiscate uh, weapons and uh, do all kinds of things there, and they are threatening the people. There's going to be a demonstration. I think it's January 20th, and they've they've basically declared a state of emergency in the state of Virginia because people are coming to the state capitol packing weapons, not to shoot somebody necessarily, but to just show they can pack a weapon. Now, in California, you can't pack a weapon anymore, and that's changed in my lifetime because I used to pack a weapon when I was a teenager, under 18 years of age, far under it. And I used to walk right out of town from the center of Marysville and walk out and, and go hunting. And no one gave me a second look, not law enforcement, not a pedestrian, not a person going down the street driving a car. They just didn't give a second look because no one cared. It's like, hey, so he's got a gun. That doesn't mean he's going to shoot me. He's just going to go hunting. Now, piece by piece, liberals have taken away one right after another right after another right. You say, oh, they, they shouldn't be able to do that. Well, if you would have voted, in other words, the founding fathers said, if you're not willing to fight for your rights, screw you. If you're not w willing to fight for your rights, forget you. 
And so if you're so weak and passive and such a pussy that you aren't going to stand for your rights, then honestly, if you want a socialist country, why stay here? You know, it's interesting to me. A lot of people say, I want socialism. But they want socialism and be rich. And the only people that are rich in socialism are the leaders, the Gavin Newsom's, the Nancy Pelosi's, all those people of the world, right? Those are the ones that are going to be wealthy, and everybody else is not going to have anything. But all the people that are pushing socialism are university professors, and all these people have made a lot of money and are in control, uh, but they, they want everybody else to have nothing and have equally nothing. And so I, I just think, hey, if you want to be a socialist, go and test it out. I've been looking at some people that have, uh, they call them expa- expats or expatriates. In other words, they've, they've decided to retire outside the United States because they can't afford to retire here. They've worked all their life. And, uh, and I've been watching a lot of them have, I, they pop up on YouTube. I think they think I must be thinking about retirement and moving out of the country because I all of a sudden my YouTube is flooded with these Panamanian uh, tour companies that want me to come down there and take a tour of Panama. And all these expats, these people from various, uh, in fact, a lot of single ladies, uh, older women that have retired and, uh, and have ventured out to go to Panama, and and also some couples, of course, but they're uh, they're all living down there and living all cheap and everything. And uh, so, some of you that are socialists, or you really don't care what we are, you you just want everything to be how you want it, right? It's like you don't want to say how you want it, but but you just want to whine about it, right? So you ought to go down and visit Venezuela, visit Cuba. Uh, go, you know, go around and check some of these socialist countries out and, and, and just settle down and stay there for a few weeks and see how it fits you. Right. And uh, enjoy yourself. So um, I want to encourage you to register to vote. Those that I can influence. That's why I'm doing this podcast. If I find out I don't have any influence, I'm quitting. Just go and have a cup of coffee and enjoy myself. Read a good book. But I would encourage you to register to vote and vote as many times as you can, because this country and certainly this this state is at stake, the condition of this state. And um, I'm, I'm just thinking about Gavin Newsom. We got an entire state that's in a lot of the people's conservative view is falling apart. And he wants to go down to Honduras and Ecuador and try to solve their problems. He's acting like he's some kind of president of California. I don't want I don't want to spend my money of him going down to Central and South America solving their problems. That's not our that's not what I want California to be about. Stay home here, dude. And uh why don't you take care of business around home here instead of going down there and thinking you're gonna offer solutions to some other country when you can't even get your feet squared away in California. So uh also in addition to registering to vote I want you to sign that petition to recall the governor. Listen, the governor, uh, unless you unless you like what he's all about. But if you don't, if you don't like the way this this thing's going in California, we need to dismantle this legislature piece by piece. 
and chopping off the snake's head, the first spot. So you can go, uh, if you're in Yuba Sutter counties or nearby and you don't, you don't, uh, you don't know where you can sign this petition. You can go out to Monty Hecker's place. That's elite universal security at 5548 Federer Boulevard, just south of Marysville off the freeway, 5548 Federer Boulevard. And you can sign the petition to recall the governor. That's just going to put it on the ballot. That is not going to recall him in itself. We still have to vote on it, but we can't vote on it unless it gets on the ballot. So even if you're kind of up in the air, you don't know all the facts yet, but you think he's he's not doing a good job, you put him on the ballot, then we'll vote on it, and, and we'll vote on an alternative to him on the same ballot. So if he gets recalled, if he loses the election, then whoever gets the most votes will replace him. Either we'll do what happens if, what, what if, what if, what if. I can't answer what if. But if you're not going to play the game, I know what, what's going to happen. You're going to get what somebody else chooses for you. Why don't you go every time you go to the restaurant? Why don't you just ask one of the other patrons in the restaurant to just pick whatever meal he wants for you? Because that's what you're doing. If you want to go buy a car, just ask the car dealership to pick a car out for you. If, if pick a wife out for you, pick a kid out for you. You better decide what what kind of country you want and begin to fight for it. Otherwise, somebody that's got more zip than you are going to call. You're going to tell you how you're going to live. Going to tell you how to paint your house, what color to paint it, whether it needs to have solar, what you're going to eat, how much you're going to eat, how much water you're going to use, how much gas you get to use, whether you can have gasoline or not, whether you're going to ride the bus or drive a car. Somebody else is going to be running your life for you. You need to decide about it. So if you're if you're out there in a county of California that doesn't, you don't have any idea where these petitions are. You can go to R A N A F. R-A-N-A-F, RANAF, R-A-N-A-F dot org. And you can download a petition, fill it out your own self and send it in. You have to be a registered voter, but you can register and fill out the petition at the same time. If you register to vote and you want to vote for a Republican, you need to register Republican in the primary you're only going to get to vote for a Republican if you're registered Republican. If you're a registered Democrat, you're not going to be able to vote on the Republican side. So if you want to vote, if you want to vote for Sean Foyt for District Three Assembly uh, or Congressman uh, uh, to defeat Garamendi, John Garamendi, you got to you got to be registered Republican. Otherwise, if you register Democrat, you're going to see Garamendi's name over there, and nobody's even running against Garamendi on the Democrat side. You see what I'm getting at? So you, so you can't just put decline to state or independent or uh, the Green Party and, and think you're going to vote for Sean Voigt. You get it? Or Sean Foyt. So uh, to get registered and, uh, and then go vote. You can... And what I would do is is register if you're going to stay in your same residence for a while, register and sign up for absentee ballot and uh, get yourself the ballot will come to you in the mail. You can you can vote at home and just mail it back or hand delivered if you want. So either way. So R.A.N.A.F. dot org will give you some ideas on where you can go sign that petition Instead of just signing it, if that's all you can pull off, just sign it. But if you can take a, a petition with you and get your neighborhood to sign some copies of it and get it back in. Listen, we only have a few weeks left, and then we either get it on the ballot 
or we don't get it on the ballot. So please don't be somebody that just sits in the bleachers and watches everybody make decisions for your life. So uh, we're going to take a break right now. I'm going to play you a clip uh, about Cardi B threatening to move to Nigeria. I don't know where you think you'd move if you don't like the way things are going. I don't know whether Nigeria would be my first pick. So we'll be right back. Celebrity to say she's throwing in the towel on America thanks to President Donald Trump, saying that she's applying for Nigerian citizenship because Trump is, quote, putting Americans' lives in danger by pushing back on escalating Iranian aggression. In a barely coherent tweet that ignores nearly every basic standard of English grammar, Cardi B tweeted this. Specifically being from New York, it's sad this man is putting Americans' lives in danger. Dumbest move Trump did till date. I'm filing for my Nigerian citizenship. She then asked fans for help convincing her husband, fellow rapper Offset, to move to Africa with her and their daughter, Culture. Yeah, those are their names. You can't make this stuff up. Now, I noted that none of us actually care where Cardi B chooses to live, and that's assuming you even know who she is in the first place. After all, if celebrities actually made good on these kinds of threats, we would be rid of Barbara Streisand and Lena Dunham by now, but they've stuck around like a hemorrhoid. So no luck there. But now let's assume for a microsecond that A, Cardi B is serious, and B, that we give a crap. Far be it from me to tell a celebrity where they can or cannot move, particularly one who is too dumb to see the very benefits in the country that has so richly provided her a path up from urban poverty to making mega millions thanks to capitalism. I mean, this is a girl who went from stripping at a club in the Bronx to being worth about $8 million because she somehow managed to convince millions of people that she could rap, but is still dense enough to say that she's snubbing all of that and moving to Africa because of Trump. Now, it's worth noting here that Nigeria, which Cardi B thinks has enough of a leg up on the USA to justify transferring her citizenship, has just a couple of minor issues of its own like, say, the violence and kidnapping of young girls by Boko Haram, mass poverty and malnutrition, government oppression and inhumane prison conditions, forced evictions, police brutality and torture, widespread domestic violence, the subjugation of women, forced child marriage, social inequality, crackdowns on free speech, and that pesky mass genocide of Christians that no one in the media ever cares to mention. See, that's the thing, isn't it? The point isn't whether some rapper decides to drag her incoherent drivel in 15 minutes of fame to a foreign country, whatever, carry on. The point is that this is largely what the left believes. They are so utterly ignorant of history and so hateful of their own country that they honestly believe places like Nigeria are preferable to living in the United States. Celebrities who've made millions thanks to capitalism, students who've benefited from accessible higher education, women who've enjoyed full freedom their entire lives, People who have no idea what it's like to starve half to death or flee their homes in the middle of the night or have to fight their own government just for the right to open their mouths, all lining up to slam the freest, most prosperous country in the history of the world, where you can go from public housing in the Bronx to a penthouse in Manhattan and trade all of that in for tyranny because orange man bad? 
You don't have to look any further than this week to see this. We have got leftists coming out of the woodwork to defend Iran and apologize to terrorists because they are so blinded by their own hatred of a country that's given them freedom, liberty, and opportunity. This is what happens when you raise a generation of historically ignorant liberals who have never experienced anything close to actual oppression in their entire lives. But, you know, hey, the silver lining? At least we've finally found a solution to our immigration crisis. All of you guys can just get in line behind Cardi B and hand over your citizenship, and we'll give it to one of the hundreds of thousands of people who would die to get just a tiny piece of what you have here. Thanks for playing. Bye-bye. second segment here we go hey i want to give a shout out to sutter north the medical foundation uh they put on a free uh seminar or half day seminar or conference on trauma and caregivers that are helping people that are traumatized and how to take care of yourself and understand more about trauma and so they had a a really bright lady come and speak and and they wanted me to come and speak because i run this trauma intervention program at the last they wanted me to speak at the very end and tell a little bit about trauma intervention for 15 minutes i thought wow it's a friday night fifth last 15 minutes of people's day friday night people that that theater is going to be empty out there so anyway i went did my thing and thought maybe i'll find a tip volunteer or so in the group since we're recruiting new people. And so when I got out there and I talked a bit and then was trying to land the plane, um, Ada, who runs the Sutter North bereavement uh, operation over there for children and adults, I call her Ada Terry. I think she got married and changed her name, but I know her by Ada Terry. Ada came up and gave me a plaque and a big old box basket full of goodies and thanked me for the work, uh, that I'd done in the community in various ways. But I just wanted to thank them. It was a total surprise to me. I looked up in the audience, and there was more people than I thought would be there. But most of the people, I think, just came because it was sort of a setup. And so I want to thank everybody that came out to just say thank you or hello or attaboy or whatever they wanted to do, support me. And uh, that was very kind of them to do and really kind of Ada and very – I have really high regard for Sutter. I have high regard for the medical people in the area generally. I've worked with them for a couple decades, uh, particularly right out, and then now it's called Adventist Hospital. Worked with them very closely for 25 years, but worked really close with Sutter Health, Sutter North Health Foundation, I guess they call it, Sutter North. Uh, They partnered up with us doing a tattoo removal program for, man, it seemed like we worked with them for over 15 years. And then when they didn't want to do it anymore because of different government regulations that kind of curtailed their ability to do it efficiently, there were more and more government regulations on how to do a a tattoo treatment. 
for them as a surgery center. So they were going to say, we can't do this anymore. The way we've been doing it, it's too costly. The government's making it prohibitive to do these very low costs. We're doing almost a no-cost tattoo removal. So uh, Sutter North ended up donating the equipment to the church I'm affiliated with, which we partnered with Sutter North to do this tattoo removal. And so uh, Dr. Cassidy did the removals and Sutter North provided the surgery center and Glad Tidings did the administration. So they donated this equipment to Glad Tidings um, a little over a year ago, a year and a half ago. And so uh, Sutter North, um, it was a huge gift. Uh, It was a very expensive piece, a laser laser remove. Laser uh, or tattoo remove, removal lasers are very, very expensive, and uh, they they are very touchy, very, very sensitive equipment, and to get them tuned up or pr- repaired is very expensive. It's just medicine in, in, in the United States today is unusually expensive compared to other countries. So we ended up with this equipment, and so for the year of 2019, we we completed i think almost 190 treatments and at and that's at the courtesy of Sutter North so Sutter North they haven't been up here forever but since they've been up here they've been a huge benefit to the community and uh when they brought the child bereavement group up here um uh, or that program here it was uh if anybody had a a child that was grieving the loss of a loved one whether they were like three or four or 14, uh, we would have to refer them down to Sacramento to go to bereavement groups like art therapy and all that kind of stuff. So now Sutter North uh, started that here a few years ago, six or seven years ago now, and Ada Terry is running that, and she's put a new set of wheels under that, and they are having a huge impact in the community, both in schools and juvenile hall, and for people that can just access their uh, bereavement groups at uh, on Plumas Street in Yuba City. Uh, so if if you have a child that's gone through a loss, uh, you could call Sutter North Hospice, and they will hook you up with a counselor and also with a bereavement group for your kids. And they are very very good, and I'd highly recommend it. So Ada Terry was helpful in uh, the little honor she gave me, and which I'm very grateful for. Thank her for that, and also Sutter North for their they're public service. They're nonprofit, and and they really do a lot. Of, besides just taking care of people's medical needs, uh, like this tattoo removal program is changing people's lives, and and we're able to continue that on because of their gift to the Church of Glad Tidings. So I just want, on behalf of the church and myself and others that are benefiting from them today, uh, thank you so much. Um, so. So I was mentioning recalling the governor, and you can go to ranaf.org, or you could go out to Monty Hecker's place and also uh, at Elite Universal Security and sign up right there. Take Once you pull in and walk in the front door, it'll take you less than five minutes, three minutes to sign up. You want If you want to register, if you're not registered, they'll register you right there. They're very helpful. It's a little office, Elite Universal Security, and... Um, in fact, I dumped off some petitions after hours. I think it was on the weekend after hours, <clears throat> and I dropped it off to their dispatcher out there. So, 
But during the week, during normal business hours, they have all kinds of secretaries out there, office managers. They'll help you, handhold you to get get it done, and uh, they'll be a great help to you. So um, I wanted to uh, say, let's see if I can find this. Uh, San Francisco, I just saw this in I'm working on two different files here because one article, they kind of match each other, the two files about San Francisco. Uh, This article I didn't get to last week, I don't think. Pardon me if I did, and it's a redundant. But uh, because of the incredible restrictive and expensive legislation uh, in in San Francisco and the uh, homeless situation and just the nonsense. The companies are beginning to leave, and they're either beginning to leave and move their their operation, or if they've been using San Francisco as a big conference center, they're they're fast leaving. And so, um, recently, there was an article in the Economic Policy Journal about fast-growing Winolo, W-O-N one O-L-O Winolo. That's how I sell, say it, Winolo. And it and that company I'd never heard of them before. I, I'm a little slow, and so they help connect thousands of businesses with tens of thousands of contract workers. And so they are moving because of this new law at the state level against the gig economy. You know, have you heard about people say, "Well, you know, it, I got this little gig on the side. I work over here forty hours a week. Then I got this gig on the side." Well, usually when people refer to the gig on the side, it's a not it's a uh, it's a, a private contractor type effort where they're not employed, but they just do they do a job for a business, but they just get paid as a contract work, not you know not as employee, but as a private contractor. So this um, gig, this one Olo, uh, they actually were placing contract workers, not employees. And so they're they're in they're national or international and um, but they were located over here in San Francisco and they said hey we can't afford uh, because your law is actually going to put us out of business in California in other words the California laws do not have impact outside of California of course so it says uh, what Juanolo said is because of the new California state legislation uh, known as AB five. Went into effect January 1, requires companies to reclassify a wide variety or category of California contract workers as employees. Now, if you work for Lyft or Uber or any of these transport transport operations or many, many different types, there's lots of courier services that do medical courier work, that deliver mail. All those people are now having to become employees and truckers, it's killing the tr- going to kill the trucking industry. There's all kinds of lawsuits about this, but Wanolo said uh, we can't take a risk. And uh, Wanolo co-founder named Young Kim, I think he must be Korean, stated an email December 17th to his gig workers. Um, he says, given the limitations of AB5, we anticipate that we may be able to allow businesses to post jobs in California. We may not be able to allow business to post jobs in California as of March 31, 2020. This means you'll see a significant fewer jobs on Wanolo in California. 
We have not made this decision lightly, but have done so in order to protect businesses from any unnecessary risks associated with the new legislation. So, um, Wanolo is an on-demand gig worker service that matches contractors with warehouse, retail, janitorial, and other blue-collar hourly positions posted on its site. It's just the way the private enterprise economy works. If government tried to manage this, we would go broke and be suffering overnight. So it says we don't want to be in, in a position of being the AB5 policeman, the, the worker for Wanolo said. Her company does not have the time or the bandwidth to review thousands upon thousands of job listings to see if the work is for a contract position or a permanent position. So now those thousands upon thousands of listings for Californians will be gone. So let me go over to my other article that I've and I found this interesting this last week or so. The J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference, you remember we talked about the Oracle Conference that got canceled, and they moved their whole operation, which had been going on for two decades. Oracle is a Bay Area uh, giant computer op, uh, company, Oracle Corporation. Some people have made millions of dollars when they got in the ground floor there. But they've been having this conference, uh, their annual like brain-expanding conference in in. Uh, that meant about 62 to $65 million each year to San Francisco. The conference was a week long or five-day, three-day, something like that. And uh, <clears throat> Oracle said, you know, we just can't do this anymore. The, the hotel rates are three times what they are, two, or, two to three times what they are in Las Vegas. It's unsafe streets. People are getting their cars broken into. Did you know? It's just unbelievable. Uh Thousands and thousands of cars are broken into every week in San Francisco. It just can't – nobody's enforcing the rules down there anymore. So anyway, they, they moved, and it's costing, I don't know, 60-some thousand hotel rooms that uh, now will not be purchased. Well, now we have J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference, which is a big conference. Been there for years, and uh, they are complaining. And uh, – so one guy calls, has has tabbed uh, San Francisco, the Bill Clinton of cities, the Bill Clinton of cities. And the reason is it's uh, it, it, Bill Clinton is sort of the uh, icon of a person that's really talented and really bright, but has no character to match up with it. Now, you see this like in sports all the time where you have this fantastic athlete but he rapes women on the side, or he beats them up, or he snuffs cocaine, or he uh, or he beats st people up in a bar because they get mouthy with him, right? And so he, he, he's got a tremendous athletic skill, but he's got a horrible character, his character. Or he, he spends, at the end of his 10-year career, he's broke right after making like $10 million a year or something. And so what we have here is Bill Clinton, who is basically a gigolo or a whore and uh, a jerk, a liar, uh, 
He's just a loser, right? We're talking about his character. But in terms of his ability, his speaking ability, his intelligence, he was a Rhodes Scholar. In terms of information and trivia, this guy's got it down, right? Plays the saxophone. His brain, he's got a good brain. What he doesn't have is a good character. The guy's a serial a serial molester. He and Epstein are buddies, right? The only difference is Epstein uh, came to pass, and Clinton hasn't come to pass yet, which is a shame sometimes. When you think of all the people he just continues to abuse. But, of course, the media condones it and gives him a big pass. So I want, so this guy, he... This guy has been now described uh, San Francisco as the Bill Clinton of cities. Now, back in about 1990, 18 or 1989, I, I flew to New Delhi, India, and I was to meet up with a team of people coming from all of the United States. And we were linking up and traveling as a team to visit these different ministry operations over there to um, to kind of evaluate them and check them out because we were supporting this group, this uh, group of uh, Indian folks over there. And uh, so when I we got on the, you know, went to I got went to the hotel. It was the middle of the night when I landed in New Delhi, and I got up the next morning. And we got on the bus, and so there was New Delhi, right? And uh, and I was amazed because, you know, you'd see an elephant just walking down the street with somebody riding on the back, and then you'd see huge huge trucks, and it was a whole mixture of stuff. And uh, the other thing I noticed in right in the city is that. People just didn't go to inside to use the toilet. They just used the toilet any, anywhere they, they felt they had the urge. They just, particularly there were these walls that I call a pony wall. They weren't like 12 feet high or something, but they were high, about the height of a guy. And uh, guys would just uh, pull up there, uh, drop the front of their trousers, and just pee against the wall. And if you were out on the highway driving out in the rural areas, if the bus the bus would pull over and everybody pile out and just stretch out along the grassy uh, a shoulder of the road and just squat or stand or just take care of their business right there. Now, that at that time, I viewed India as a third world country, unde- undeveloped or underdeveloped. <clears throat> and uh, they just had a different way of doing things. Like they wiped without toilet paper and then washed their hands. You know, there's just a different approach that made that may turn your stomach a little bit, but it's just a cultural thing. They just went about business, but a bit different. But I thought, well, thank God we don't have to deal with, because uh, you could smell the urine, you know, when you walk down the street, you could smell if somebody just come to pass right there. And uh, so I thought, well, you know, it's interesting that the United States, we don't do that. You know, once we used to have outhouses. In fact, I used to go hunting and we had a cabin where there was an outhouse. There was no running water and you just went set on this bench with a hole in it, right? And I thought, well, you know, in America, we moved past that. At one time, we had outhouses, and then we had chamber pots and stuff like that. And uh, we moved past that. <clears throat> and uh, But now I noticed, like the other day in my house, I live in downtown Marysville, and I, I, had, I like to lift the shades up, let the light in, and shut the lights off, and don't have to pay so much. And I like the natural light, so I noticed that something crossed the window out the side between my my house and some apartments next door. And when I took a second look, a guy was peeing on the wall of the apartments. 
and I knocked on the window and he looked around. And he said, sorry, dude, you know, like I really had to go, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then he took, you know, zipped it up and uh, headed down the street. So uh, and then uh, the other day I saw a guy just standing, taking a pee right by Walgreens. The guy was standing right next to Walgreens, right out front of God and everybody, very busy street, and just uh, had it spread and just taking a pee. And I thought, well, this has become customary, and we make a big deal about this guy named Chessa, some sissy name, Chessa Bodine, who now has become the attorney of San Francisco, and he declared he's not going to fuss with any, like, uh, drug drug crimes, uh, urinating, taking a poop in public, just lots of stuff, drunk in public, whatever. I'm not, he said, I'm not interested in that. Guy's never been a prosecutor. Never been, you know, so he just, now he's he's the new game in town down there. But really, I was thinking, you know, why, t- why throw stones at San Francisco? We got that right here in Marisol and Yuba City. People can sh- just about do whatever they want to do. And I thought, should I call this guy who's taking a leak right here? Should I call Marisol Police Department? I thought, oh, gosh, why bother the guys? They're not going to do anything about it anyway. And uh, why not just let him pee all over? And I just thought... I was just thinking about this new law today. I, I got my water bill from Cal, Cal Water, Cal Water Service, and we they serve Marysville, and uh, it's the most expensive water in in the whole region by about two or three times expensive is next door, just across the river in Yuba City or Linder and Oliver's. And uh, so I was looking at my bill, and I thought because they got this new law in the state of California now where uh, they're they're trying to figure out how to implement it, and they're going to limit you, uh, like I'm I'm living in this place myself, just me. And so that means that I'm going to be allotted for in, indoor use 55 gallons per day. So somebody on television I was noticing on YouTube, it was the guy news guy was saying that a load of wash, which I don't do wash here, I, I do it at the laundromat, which is going to be save me some, but if they do, you do do a load of wash. They said it takes forty gallons. I said I didn't know it took that much water to do a load of wash. And uh, then they said when you take a shower, just like an eight eight minute shower, I think he said it fifteen to twenty gallons of water there. So he said if you really can't afford to wash, if you're a single guy, you can't wash or a single woman wash and your clothes and do a load of clothes. And do a shower in the same day. You're going to have to break it up. Now, if you have a bunch of people in the uh, in the house, then that, that gives you, you get 55 gallons per person per day, right? But if you're just one person, I thought, you know something? I, I divided 30 days into the amount of gallons I was using. And here we're in the wintertime, right, when you don't use as much water. Well, you probably use the same indoors because that's the limit indoors. They haven't set the outdoor limit yet. But I'm about the only guy that waters the outdoors. People in Marysville can't afford to water the outdoors around here. They've already let everything die, but I don't want to let everything die. I'll probably move before I let everything die over here. So uh, let me take another break here, and then I'll come back and talk a little bit more about this, about uh, dystopia. I'm gonna, this, uh, you can, I'm going to play a couple of Tucker Carlson clips here today. One is American Dystopia Part 2, San Francisco Small Business Owner Struggles with Theft. That's happening around here. People are just walking in, picking up stuff off the shelves and flipping people the bird and walking out because nobody's prosecuting them because the DA 
isn't interested in anything that's under $950. It's just a misdemeanor they, because we, the voters, lowered the uh, the penalties. Remember you voted for Prop 57 Prop, or 54 or 57 and Prop 47? That lowered all kinds of stuff. You thought you, you – I know you're sold a bill of goods same way I was, but I voted against it. Some of you voted for it to lower the penalties, and so now – uh, those that those of you that don't steal, that do pay for all your stuff, you go into Walmart or Home Depot or Lowe's or Harbor Freight or whatever, you're paying more for your stuff because other people are taking theirs for free. Hold that thought. We'll be right back. My mother, there's too many of you crying. Brother, brother, brother. In the city of San Francisco, one of the prettiest places in the continental United States, law and order has been effectively suspended. Thanks to left-wing prosecutors, so-called quality-of-life crimes essentially no longer exist. People camp on the sidewalk, defecate in public, use drugs in broad daylight, all without penalty. That's bad enough. But even crimes with clear-cut victims are on the rise, in some cases out of control. For part two of our week-long American Dystopian series, we spoke with a local business owner in San Francisco, someone who's struggling to run a store where customers can steal with impunity. Here's the conversation. Get the f*** out of here, you f***ing This is a day in the life of Gilles de Saunier. I've been here 42 years before you're f***ing born. F*** off. Over 50, you. Get your high prices driven off the store out runs a grocery store in San Francisco's South of Market neighborhood. See how it gets? How often do people come in and create problems in the store? Every day. Every single day. It's not an exaggeration. While the interview was underway, customers were filling their pockets with merchandise and just walking out of the store. Is shoplifting an issue? No, yeah. They decriminalize petty theft in California. So it happens every few minutes. Literally in our store, probably 15, 20 times a day. 20 times a day? Oh, yeah. The decriminalization of crime has been a disaster for this neighborhood. And if you don't prosecute people, well, they just keep coming back. Nothing's going to happen. This is a needle from somebody who shot up. When was the last time you came into work and had a day where nothing went wrong? It's been many years. Shoplifting is the least of DeSaulnier's concerns. He's been attacked by the homeless twice in his own store. One woman bit him when he asked her to leave. And she grabbed it and she just bit into my arm and she dropped her weight. I freaked out. In today's San Francisco, those who follow the law are helpless while criminals reign supreme. This surveillance footage shows a man breaking into the store and stealing credit card equipment. Rang up $30,000 worth of refunds within an hour. The store's rear door is rotting because homeless people urinate on it. That's all from the acid in the urine. How often do you see people doing drugs? Oh, my God. Every few minutes. Before we arrived, someone had attempted to steal some of the counterfeit money that Desaulier tapes to the wall behind the cash register. I see a lot of water damage in the ceiling here. What's that? Yeah, this is low-income housing, and it's, some of them have issues, and sometimes they pass out, and water penetrates the ceiling. It happens every month, pretty much. How much do you pay in taxes a year? <laughs> thousands, hundreds of thousands. I, I, it's a lot. Why are you still in San Francisco with experiences like that? Well, because you make investments in businesses and your homes, and you buy property, and you can't just pick up and leave. I live here. You don't. I live a block away. F*** you. Right over there. F*** you. 
Maybe he should. By the end of the interview, Desaulier was on the phone with the police department. The man accosting us outside was blocking the store's entrance. Then you have angry people across the street who can't afford it because they're living in poverty. Whose fault is that? You know, I, I, I'm scared for my safety. It was his second 911 call of the day. San Francisco, it was a beautiful place once. I feel ill a little bit um, because of, of everything that is taking place. And I think every time I hear about, com I hear of conversations around war, I find my, myself um, being stricken with uh, PTSD. I find my, myself um, being stricken with uh, PTSD. Uh, PTSD. Ilhan Omar has found herself in the headlines once again. This time, she decided to invoke PTSD, claiming she is stricken with it as a result of the recent conflict with Iran. You know what, Congresswoman Omar? I take deep offense to what you are doing. As someone who understands what it's like to live in a war zone, I can tell you I know exactly what it's like to be blown up from rockets. I spent months in the hospital and still have shrapnel in my bones as a result of the bombings I lived through. I spent my youth living in an underground bomb shelter. I know what it's like to bury most of my friends before the age of 18. My childhood was stolen by war. I know what PTSD from war is all about. I've lived it. And I have a very serious message for you, Congresswoman. Your attempt to use PTSD as a mechanism to bolster your own dangerous anti-American foreign policy agenda is a spit in the face of service members, wounded warriors, and every person who has experienced war firsthand. Trying to use something like PTSD to justify your claim that one of the most brutal terrorists in the world should have lived is not only dishonest, it is despicable. Qasem Soleimani was a man consumed by evil with the blood of countless innocent lives on his hands. Nothing you can say or do will change that. He deserved exactly what he got. And while you gripe and complain about America, people like me and our brave military, people who have actually suffered due to war, are out there fighting tooth and nail for our country. We understand that people like Qasem Soleimani make it their life's mission to kill people who do not subscribe to their radical ideology. I will always proudly stand by our flag, our president, and our exceptional nation to make sure that religious extremism, drivers of global instability, and threats to freedom and democracy are appropriately dealt with. I will always stand up for the country that saved me from the war-torn Middle East, not the terrorists who drove me out. So please, Ilhan, instead of using PTSD as a device to position yourself as a victim, use it to condemn the evils of anti-Semitism, terrorists, and their sympathizers like the Council on American Islamic Relations. You could have become a voice for freedom, Ilhan, but instead you decided to become a tool for the radicals that have destroyed both of our home countries. Okay. Shame on you.
All right, third segment, here we go. So I was talking about um, San Francisco being the Bill Clinton of cities. And so what we've essentially done in, in, in the, we've lost our minds. And what we used to think was good is now bad. What we now, what we used to think was bad was now good. What we used to think was up is now down. We used to think is down was now up. So now what we used to escape in countries like Mumbai, which used to be called Bombay, and Manila, Philippines, Mumbai, India, Philippines, Manila, where there would be feces on the street. People would actually walk down the street with masks or handkerchiefs with maybe some uh, scented oil on the handkerchief because of the funky smell. There was a third world smell. About the only place in Marysville you can pick up that third world smell is the sewage backing up down around uh, 10th and Yuba Street. You can get a whiff right there. We, you don't need to fly to the Philippines if you want to go on a trip to third world country. You just need to go down to 10th. Uh, 10th Street at Yuba, where the park is there, and there's a manhole right there where there's a whiff that normally comes out of there because of the sewage screw-ups in the city of Marysville. There's a couple places in the city, but you can get a good whiff, and that'll save you paying a grand or $800 round trip to the Philippines uh, or, say, some other third-world nation. But actually what we've now done, after we led the world in cleaning up sewage and cleaning up uh, different kinds of trans, uh, transmittable diseases that transmit themselves through gar- garbage and feces. And we got all the feces and the urine going down into the sewer and processed and cleaned up the water. And we fined cities $10,000 a minute or something like that when they're dumping water back into the river. And it's not perfect. But now we allow homeless people just to shit all over the all over the world and pollute the, uh, I just read where Reno's river is being polluted by homeless people using it. And uh, so what we have now is uh, we're, we're returning to become a third world nation. Now, not only in terms of sewage, but in terms of high rises and modern highways and waterways and beautiful stuff. Now we've been surpassed by a lot of these countries that we, we just took off and left in the dust. And now they are actually, like if you go to Hong Kong today, if you looked at Hong Kong in the 1940s, you think, whoa, this is like rough over here. Now you go to Hong Kong, we don't have a city in the United States to match Hong Kong. You need to fly over there. You could probably fly round trip on a good day for $500, have the time of your life, take a short hop to Vietnam, enjoy it over there, or Thailand. But you'll see, it's just in a quick glance, you'll think, oh, baby, we are like in the 1800s in terms of modern technology compared to Hong Kong. And uh, what happened to us? Well, we are asleep at the wheel. In fact, we got the spirit of stupid. We swallowed a stupid pill some here along the way. And now we have a, a city that is looking more like Mumbai than San Francisco. And uh, so this... Uh, Steve Steve Ubel, UBL, Chief Executive Officer of the Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturers of America. That's a mouthful. He rep, which represents the world's largest drug makers, right? Steve Ubel, he says it comes with our members 
It comes up with our members every year. It gets worse and worse in terms of concentration and cost. He said the situation here in San Francisco is outrageous. Um, so what what they're talking about is this, the many of the people that come to thousands that come to their conference. It's an annual conference, that, and everybody knows where it's going to be. It's become historic. Uh, he said the healthcare industry's premier event. This is a healthcare industry's premier national premier event. It's a celebration of innovation and money to be made. And it also highlights, this is so sad, it highlights San Francisco's uh, vast wealth disparities as well-to-do attendees hobnob at parties while stepping around people living in cardboard boxes. This year's CONFAB comes as the city is grappling with the heightened attention on its troubles with its homeless crisis worsening. Um, So... So this, uh, I'm trying to get down here to figure out who's talking to whom. So it's talking about that Oracle Corporation, they have this open, what they call the Open World Conference. It's the newest and best of all kinds of technology. What the future is going to look like. So they, after 20 years in San Francisco, they left because of pricey hotels and funky street conditions. So it costs the city... $64 $64 million. So uh, John Price, CEO of Grefex Incorporated, it's an Aurora, Colorado-based genetic engineering company. He says San Francisco has squandered its place in the sun. And he says San Francisco is the Bill Clinton of cities. It squandered itself with its flaws, its character flaws. So... Uh, This conference, the J.P. Morgan Health Conference, attracts 10,000 people. Is that amazing? 10,000 people. And they're talking about packing it in as well. Um, So this one guy, hold on here. Let me see if I can. So the guy that wrote this article, for anyone traveling to San Francisco in the near future, here's a tip. In addition to looking up which restaurants and attractions you want to visit, it might be a, it might not be a bad idea to take a look at the shit map. And so we have a shit map in, in San Francisco now that shows where the re- most recent hundreds of piles and where the concentrations are throughout the city. Now you think, well, it's one thing, have you ever, you know, it's been a while since I stepped in a pile of dog feces, but it's never a delightful experience whether you stepped in it or somebody else stepped in it, and then they walk into your house, and you think, huh, that smells funky. Who's got it on their feet, right? So now what you do is you end up stepping in that while you're going to a business meeting or somewhere, and then you got to figure out how you want to get it off your feet, which is another funky thing. But the worst thing is, is that the, the health scientists tell us that when feces dries, and then is blown about by a windy city, that feces dried is also infected and can get up into your nostrils and cause a problem as well. And so feces is loaded with bacteria. Did you know that? And so if if somebody has hepatitis A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the hepatitises, uh, they can get right up into your business, uh, and you don't even 
you didn't even step in it. It just blew up your nose because no, because you're allowing people to poop right out in public. Is that something or what? So um, that got my attention. And uh, so this one guy says, I've been coming to JPM. That's the JP Morgan health deal. 10,000 people for five years. And the homeless situation has gotten much worse, said Celine Kernaz co-founder and CEO of New York-based Massive Bio. He said at a party Monday night in the Tenderloin District, he said, I feel unsafe around at night, especially as a young woman. Sorry, I said it was a guy. It's a young woman. Celine, S-E-L-I-N. It's a name I'm not familiar with, Celine. So, um, sad. I was in the Yuba County Jail this I go into Yuba County Jail every week and um, work with inmates. So I was talking to an inmate. I was visiting with him one-on-one. He wanted to meet with me privately. And uh, he said, hey, my mom doesn't know it, but I I tested HIV positive because he'd been arrested. He was sleeping in a a parking lot, a Walmart parking lot or food or grocery store parking lot in a illegal vehicle and and he did something wrong and they arrested him for it but uh he'd been living with a guy that claims he's a girl and um so uh either he picked his hiv up from having sex up the backside or uh shooting drugs which they were doing both of and so this guy's a good-looking guy and a nice guy probably early 30s and uh, so I know who his mother is. And she said, hey, can you look up? I didn't know him. Can you look up my son and tell him I'm, you know, see how he's doing and see if you can help him get him into a drug rehab or something. I thought, ah, right, cool. Yeah, we can do that. So then he had, tells me that he's here. He's, they tested him in the uh, in the jail and he's HIV positive. And so it got me to thinking about AIDS this week. And so I couldn't remember whether what I knew about AIDS was myth, rumor, or fact. So I did a little research this week on AIDS because we teach on it in the the jail. We have a health nurse from Yuba County, just a fine lady, who comes in and talks about sexually transmitted infections, STIs. We used to call them STDs. We used to call them sexually transmitted diseases. But they, now they've changed that, updated that term to be more accurate in the health health uh, industry's mind or perspective as infections. So we talk about all kinds of things like gonorrhea, syphilis, which almost was completely gone in the United States. There were only 5,000 known cases about 15 years ago or about around 2,000, and now we have 50,000 cases or something. It's just like because people aren't taking care of their sexual business. And so syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia, we talk about, and then we talk about HIV as well. So if you have one of the other typical uh, sexually transmitted infections, it makes you more vulnerable to pick up HIV if the person you have relations with has HIV. So uh, a lady I met um, uh, within the last year, uh, she was telling her story at church one night, and um she said when she was first married to her first husband, he got sick. She was down in the Bay Area and uh, 
Haight-Ashbury area or something back in the hippie days, and and uh, he came down sick, and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with it. He's really sick, and and uh, they had several kids, and so she was panicked, and they they were hush hush about it. They didn't know they didn't they couldn't tell her what it was, or they wouldn't tell her. So finally, she said, "Hey, hey, hey! I got kids. I, am I going to die? Is my kids going to die? You know, am, are we susceptible to this?" And turned out it was AIDS. They hadn't actually named it then. And so she was talking about her husband when he died of AIDS, and uh, she ended up the kids and her both escaped it. But I, I was looking up the the AIDS situation, and uh, and it was as I remembered it. I looked up kind of the beginning of it. It came out of Africa in the Belgian Congo. Uh, we sent a team over to the Congo here. I don't know a few years ago to work on a hospital that had been ruined by a active volcano. The lava came down through there and goofed it up. It was a surgery training hospital, so we went over and rebuilt part of it. And it's just been a Congo's been a rough place for years. There's been a lot. In fact, there was a civil war going on. We had people down there. They heard gunshots all the time, and it was difficult getting people into the country by plane. But um, in the Belgian Congo, I always thought that I'd been told, and uh, but I couldn't fi- find anyone where it confirmed this, where I thought that humans had actually had sex with with uh, monkeys or baboons. And uh, they ended up, it was a disease that was in the monkey strain, and they ended up picking it up from uh, sexual relations. Uh, but what the, what most of the people say is that the, the disease was in the monkey uh, species and, uh, and the natives or the, the tribal people at that time, and they still do, they kill and eat monkey or baboons or different types of primate type folk type, type species. So, um, anyway, uh, when you eat an animal, that's why I think Israel was so careful about eating pig when you eat an animal that is diseased, even like eat a chicken when it's the bird flu is happening, uh, you can bring that into the human species. And uh, when I went, to, I was taking a team in to smuggle Bibles into China one year. I was planning, you know, I had it all going on, organizing. It took about eight months to get it all going. And as we were getting ready to go, the SARS outbreak happened in Hong Kong and in mainland China. And people were dying left and right, <clears throat> and they, everybody was so fearful because they they didn't know where it came from, and they didn't know how it was spreading, and it was spreading by people through uh, just like we spread colds and flus by people sneezing and you know a spit, um, saliva and stuff, spray of saliva, sneezing and stuff, and and people are dying dying of this SARS. Well, where that came from was from the civet cat. That that they, I always say that a lot of the Asians will eat anything that moves, and they'll certainly eat a cat. And but the civet cat is kind of looks like a tendency to look like a little bit fox-like, got a, a sharp nose. And actually, I'd been in a restaurant where a civet cat was in a cage, and uh, but they eat some people ate a civet cat, and it was it was sick. It was sick with whatever they called. They ended up calling it SARS, and people were dying left and right over there. So. We know that that diseases can move from the animal kingdom right into the human side. And so they say that that in Leopoldville, Belgian Congo, Leopoldville is the city there. 
that it actually started there. They track it back. They tracked it back. AIDS, HIV, they ended up calling it human. At that time, it was called S. If it's in the primates, it's it's called instead of HIV, it's SIV, simian. Instead of human, it's simian, S-I-M-I-A-N. And uh, anyway, it got into the human uh, deal and then kind of began to spread around the world. And when it when it started in from New York, from Africa, and then it came out to the West Coast through the homosexual community. And because, uh, according to the Yuba County Health Department, that when you have sex up the anal area, uh, that area, the the anal walls are are designed not to have sex in them because the walls actually are porous. It's like a condom. You don't want a porous condom. And uh, a wall of the anal area, there's a transfer of liquid in and out of your system through the walls, where that isn't true in the vaginal area or the mouth. And so uh, because the homosexual community uses the the, uh, anal area to have sex, uh, when, when someone had... Uh, HIV on board, it was transferred very quickly from person to person to person. Now, here is a really gnarly uh, situation about this. They they tracked people. There was there was a guy that they claimed was patient number zero, and his name was Gaetan Dugas. He was a French Canadian, and they blamed him in the 1980s for basically lighting the match to the the AIDS epidemic in the United States, but they said it really wasn't, it didn't turn out to be scientifically accurate. Dugas was a man uh, who had sex with other men. He died in 1984. And they said he was blamed unfairly for being the primary source for the spread of HIV in North America. How would you like to have your name associated with that? So Randy Schiltz, who was a, a journalist for the San Francisco Chronicle, and he was also an author, he wrote the, uh, the, the book about Harvey Milk, the mayor of Castro Street. He also wrote a book, And the Bland, Band Plays On, or The Band Played On, And the Band Played On, 1987 book. And he named Dugas as one of the primary villains in his book, And the Band Played On. Uh, the, he was one of the primary uh, culprits for bringing HIV into the homosexual community. Uh, So the scientists, though, that have been studying AIDS for all these many years and trying to find a cure for AIDS basically said they followed, just like they do in any epidemic, like when we talk to the prisoners at Juba County Jail, we say, listen, you need to get tested because you may not have any symptoms, but you may be a carrier of gonorrhea, chlamydia, da 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 da, syphilis, whatever. And eventually the symptoms can cause, it could kill you, right? Do all kinds of wild things. And so if we discover uh, any of these ailments that you might be packing, we're going to ask who you've been having sex with because we need to go talk to them because now they may be packing it. And then we need to talk to people they had sex with because they may be packing it. Right, because you need to network back and and let everybody know you had this problem, and therefore they may have this problem, right? 
So what they did is they began when they figured out, uh, like in the beginning, I've talked to people who, in fact, I talked to a guy that <clears throat> was working for the health department during this time in San Francisco, and he said, Lou, we triple, triple glove, triple glove. Think about that. Triple latex gloves and triple gowned up and cri- triple masked up because people were so scared to death about this disease. It was so devastating because they were dying uh, of lung problems. So uh, anyway, I'm going to take a break right now, and um, I'm going to play you a clip uh, on student debt in the big ripoff. We've been talking about colleges and all the bonds they want us to pay, and uh, I want you to listen to student debt. It's a big ripoff between the colleges and the government. You remember Obama, they pushed all the banks. Remember banks, if you went to get a loan, they went to see, are you worthy of this loan? Will you pay it back? Obama took all the loans, Barack Obama, and made them all state-issued loans. So now the government is packing all these, all this uh, debt as opposed to banks carrying it, right? So uh, this is a, a clip, and it talks about student debt. And then we'll come up and finish. I want to, I wanna, like, uh, shock, the, shock the hell out of you about this AIDS thing and how what a big lie this whole thing has been. Be right back. And uh, hope you enjoy this clip. The last administration blamed greedy bankers taking big profits. Unnecessary middlemen in administering student loans. So government would take over student loans. We take the middleman out. We take the banker out of the picture because they're taking a profit. We'll save American taxpayers $68 billion. But instead, the cost to taxpayers went up and student debt increased. 13 years ago, the average new college graduate owed $20,000 in student loans. Today, that number has jumped to 37000 What are you guys doing to help us with the student loan debt? Some politicians are still so eager to blame banks, they don't even know that they kick banks out of the loan business. Who would like to answer first? Uh, we stopped making student loans in 2007 or so. Mr. Diamond? When the government took over student lending in 2010 or so, we stopped doing all student lending. If actual private lenders, people with skin in the game, made college loans, they'd care about being paid back. They'd tell students which majors often lead to higher-paying careers and warn them that majoring in, say, sociology, art history, or gender studies might make it tougher to get out of debt. If I'm a young person going to college, the federal government doesn't tell me that the amount that I'm borrowing is probably going to be unaffordable for me because I'm on a path towards a low earnings occupation. Beth Akers of the Manhattan Institute is the author of Game of Loans. Under the government program, no student has a reason even to think about, will I earn money? That's right. We charge everyone the same interest rate, and we give them the same caps on how much they can borrow. Currently, many students are really dumb about their loans. 28% don't even know they have a loan? It's not because they're dumb, it's because we've made a system that's really complex. Enough is enough! Pay us back! Today, activists say, just make college free. Forgive all the loans. 
it ends up giving very large benefits to people who probably don't need it. So it would be welfare for the rich. It sure would. A better solution, says Acres, is something called an ISA, an income share agreement. So you want to be a web developer? Sign up. Pay nothing up front. That's right, nothing. Some private computer education boot camps do that that gets them into a career, most often in coding. So those people were getting jobs. Yeah, the ISA was a way for the school to say to them, you're only gonna pay us if we help you succeed. Now some colleges offer ISAs. Graduates who get jobs repay the loans by paying the college a percentage of their income. In the past five years, people are starting to get excited and try to implement income share agreements. At first I was like, I had no idea how I was gonna move forward and pay for my education. Engineering student Paul Aurora was thrilled to learn that Purdue would help him get an ISA loan. So was Andrew Hoyler, who's just started working as a pilot. Now that he has a job, he must pay the university 8% of his income for 104 months. So after that 104-month term ends, if you still have money that you owe, it's forgiven. It's forgotten, you don't owe another penny. Now, if I find myself in a six-figure job tomorrow, there's a chance that I'll pay back far more than I initially took out. But you're okay with that? I'm okay with that. The security of knowing that I'll never pay back more than I can afford every month was enough for me. If it's so good for you, I think it would be bad for the investor. It's a risk that they take, just like an investment. It conveys information to the student about how lucrative a different major is going to be. English majors must pay 4.5% of their income for 116 months. Math majors pay 4% for just 96 months. Some people think that's unfair, but really that's just a way that they can recapture the amount of money that they've put up in the first place. This is new useful information about what professions pay. Not only what they pay, but how stable it may be, what the future is like. It may even sway students away from going into majors that don't have job prospects post-graduation. The English major has to pay 116 months your loan is over 30 months sooner. It's definitely something to look forward to that I can stop paying people uh, quicker. We should think about investing in students the same way that we invest in startups. Share equity in their company. Basically put the students in touch with rich people. It may be that there are rich investors feeding money into that fund, but it's not an individual connection between students and investors. We don't know who the investor is, but I'd love to, you know, give them a hug or buy them a beer or something. Institutions are saying, hey, if I'm operating as the middleman, in a sense, I can make sure that no one's taking advantage of my students. Still, some call ISAs predatory. This is like indentured servitude. You're locked into paying for all these months. And if you're graduating, you don't have a job, you're not paying anything, so where's the servitude in that? <laughs> it's a brand new industry. The public's still learning, investors are still learning. They really care about the students. It is a win-win situation for everyone involved in it. talk to you uh, a little bit about uh, if you've ever thought that if you're, uh, for instance, if you're a male or female and you have relations with the opposite sex, that'd be heterosexual, 
And you think somehow that that's one of the many options that God created for us, and, and really any old option will do. Man with donkey, um, women with women, men with men, and any other the different concepts out there. Uh, you, you think, hey, it's every, it's up to everybody. It's a happy, it's a happy world out there. And so, when you hear these people that are homosexual, transsexual, something sexual, other than heterosexual, talk about how wonderful and monogamous—that means one partner—I'm faithful to one partner—and when they take shots at the heterosexual community about, oh, you guys are adulterers, you're, you're this, you're that, and uh, you know we're more we're more faithful to our partner than you are. A lot of that is just BS. Are there are there unfaithful people everywhere? There are. There's liars everywhere in government and marriage, all kinds of things. In fact, when I find people that cheat on their spouse and then they want to do business with me, I wonder whether they're going to cheat on me. So um, anyway, there's some interesting statistics here that I think are. I mean, I knew about this, but maybe you haven't. So I just thought I'd just throw this out to just you can put this in your pipe and smoke it. So. Um, they say this Gaetan Dugas is one of the most demonized patients in history and one of a long line of individuals and groups vilified in the belief that they somehow fueled the epidemic. This is like a little veiled uh, cover-up for the homosexual community. And you know how people say, well, everybody can, anybody can get AIDS. You go to the drinking fountain, you have a little slurp out of the drinking fountain, you're going to, oh, now I got AIDS. You can get AIDS. Remember when people are getting a transfusion, getting AIDS? Because homosexuals are selling their blood and making a little money. And so they were selling bad blood, and then they were giving it to me or somebody like me who needed a little blood. And they weren't checking it, right? And so the the system said, oh, yeah, this is, we got good blood. Come and see us. Number one blood supply. They were giving away AIDS blood. So, um, but the fact is the homosexual community continues to be the, the community that is firing up sexually transmitted infections because they don't use protection and they go up the backside. And, uh, so syphilis, you think syphilis just happened? Just boom. It's just like, oh, well, just, you know, just, we have no, it's like climate change. Oh yeah, I'm sure it's a person's fault. Well, but when it comes to age, oh no, it can't be a person's fault. Okay, so anyway, uh, Dugas told researchers after he... Now, I wonder, I want you to think about today how many sexual partners you've had and how many sexual partners you've had at the same time. Like we talked to, uh, we had a child support uh, talk uh, by the child support specialist here in Yuba County because we talked about to guys how... Many gals will name you as the father of their child, but really it could have been a number of guys because they were having sex with numbers of people around the same time. But you just you didn't know you're getting cheated on, et cetera, et cetera. And then it comes up in an argument later on in your relationship like, well, you may not be the father of this kid anyway. So they were talking about we we're talking about getting DNA tested, which they'll do for free out at any health department to determine paternity. That means for you out there and re- Lyndon Oliver's, who actually fathered this kid, right? And you may have had sex with her, but maybe you're, you were firing blanks. So uh, Dugas, Gaetan Dugas, who died a homosexual loaded with AIDS, he said he didn't have three or four partners in his lifetime. Remember I told you or suggested to you to think through all your partners, how many partners you had as a heterosexual. 
because they want to say that homosexuality is no different than heterosexuality, right? And so you you see these. I, I remember Wilt Chamberlain, remember the basketball player. I think it, he bragged that he had like ten thousand women or something. I thought, man, I, man, that's and he had time for basketball. That's that's a lot of action right there. But I had a guy that uh, that got converted one time. Started following Jesus. He was actually a Native American, and he was worked as a smoke jumper or firefighter. Jumped into fires, and I had I said, "Hey," uh, and he'd been homosexual, and he had AIDS. He had HIV and had active AIDS. And I said, "Hey, can I have breakfast with you? I want you to like educate me on the whole deal." And so he was the first guy that ever talked. His name Joshua. He was the first guy that ever talked to me and said to me how he had sometimes four and five partners in one day. I want you to think about that. Four and five different sexual partners in one day. And I said, man, how'd you pull that off? Like, you don't even know the people? He said, no, we didn't even, you don't even build a relationship, man. You just go say, you want to do this with me. Like there were spots where you'd link up with people. In fact, Riverfront Park used to be one of the key spots where they'd link up. And down here between Marisol and Yuba City. And he would say, we just go to a spot that, other people would go to and it was already everybody knew about everybody that you all you want to do is have sex and you didn't even know, need to know the person's name and you'd have you'd have a go around with them and so he said he'd had at least over 500 he uh, thought encounters well that was the first time i ever thought about all these sexual encounters so if you're having all these sexual encounters you're picking up all the people they had sex with, right? If they're passing around any kind of a bug. Well, this Dugas, Gaetan Dugas, he told the scientists that, because they were trying to figure out, hey, dude, we need to figure, we need to protect people from dying from this disease. Who, How many people do you have relations with? He said he had 750 sexual partners in just the previous three years, not in his lifetime. I'm asking you how many sexual partners you had in your whole life. Gaetan Dugas had 750 sexual partners in just three years before he died. And they say, the scientists said, that wasn't necessarily an unusual number for the gay homosexual culture. So you can see how many young boys Harvey Milk was banging. Researchers said 65% of men in a Los Angeles cluster study at the time reported having more than 1,000 sexual partners in their lifetimes. I want you to think about your life. And think about the homosexual community. If you're a heterosexual, that means having sex with just somebody of the opposite sex. I want you to think about all the partners you've had. And then, and I want you to think about the homosexual community saying they're no different than you are. They just choose someone of the same persuasion, same gender. But then the researchers who sat down and asked people that are dying, we're trying to do research to figure out how we're going to stop this disease because we, we're not judging you. We're just trying to stop this disease. And we need to figure out what we're up against here. And so when they talked to a cluster of Los Angeles men, homosexual men, 65% reported having sex 
having more than 1,000 sexual partners. And that's not, that's not sexual experiences. That's partners. <laughs> just like incredible. This is, I, I just like, I was going to I use the term blow your hair back because <laughs> I don't have any hair left, but man, this blows my hair back. I just, it's got my attention. And, uh, Dugas provided medical officials. He said he had six. How many did he say? Seven. He said he had 750 sexual partners. When they asked their names, because they wanted to go talk to them and test them, right? To save their life. Not to like throw them under the bus and put it out in the paper. To save their life. He could provide them with 72 names, less than 10%. Of all the people he'd have sex with. I want you to think, are, how many people in your life you have sex with that you can't name them? Are you with me? Is this like a mind blower? And they say that the culture is no different than a heterosexual culture. And we shouldn't judge it. Unbelievable. He said that helped scientists track down a wide range of people infected with HIV by him just giving them 72 names. Because what do you think is going to happen? Those 72 names, if they were still alive, probably had another five, six hundred, seven hundred men that they'd been banging. <laughs> just like, whoa, does this get your attention? I thought when I re- I was just like curious, I just thought, like said, do I have I can't remember. What I've learned, I need to go, you know, my mind's like a colander. I put stuff in the top, it falls out the bottom. I thought, man, I knew that at one time. Do I, did I remember that right? So, so they said, blaming others, whether the foreign, the poor, or the wicked, has often served, this article says, to establish a notional safe distance between the majority and groups or individuals identified as threats, said McKay, one of the researchers. Uh, Anyway, uh, said patients in the Los Angeles cluster that they studied, remember they studied these men, they had over a thousand, 65% or 62% have over a thousand partners. They were given case numbers with a letter and numbers based on where they were from and when they were identified as having HIV. So Dugas was listed as 057. O stood for outside of California. Says he started outside the United States then. And, uh, Anyway, uh, without getting off onto this Dugas, I just thought the whole phenomenon is I sadly, you know, met this guy at Yuba County Jail who had realized he's got HIV. And the fact is, if they treat him with the the drugs we have today, they may save his life. It may never progress besides him being a carrier. And now, according to the nurses at the health department at Yuba County, if he gets married to a woman— and uh, she takes a medication faithfully for the rest of her life. They could have relations and have a baby. And uh, they may not either get HIV. It, it somehow blocks it. I mean, scientists are amazing, are they not? I just think, how do, how, how do they know all this? It's just incredible. But this guy is having sex with a guy 
who he claims, who he thinks is really a girl, but whatever, whatever she thinks she is, she's still wired like a guy. And uh, now they both probably tested out. Both of them are locked up over there at Yuba County and both probably tested out positive for HIV. So maybe that's all you need to know about that. Now, there's all kinds of myths. I, and they're, they're on, the, on the Internet. I read them today. Myths about how to get rid of AIDS. When I was in Uganda in about 1990, <clears throat> I was on... Uh, Lake Victoria there, I think it's the second largest lake in the world or something, and we were right on the on the shores of Lake Victoria outside of Entebbe in Kampala, Uganda, at a missions compound there. And uh, the, 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 there are like three or four nations that touch, that all surround and touch into Lake uh, Victoria, and there's a lot of fishermen there. Lake Victoria is just loaded with massive, huge fish. And so a lot of fishermen there, and so they're constantly going from one country, and they'll dip right into another country. And um, so they often have wives, and then they cheat on their wives. And so they were there's a huge age. There was a huge age pro- problem there. In fact, one of the ladies in the camp that we we were at had AIDS, and she was really sick. She had full blown AIDS. It was really sick. Just laid on a mat all day. And uh, so their concept was that if they found a virgin. And they and they, the man had AIDS. If they could find a virgin and have sex with her, that having sex with a virgin would cure AIDS. And also, there was a myth that I just read about today that if they had sex with it with an animal, they could get rid rid of AIDS. Just total primitive nonsense, right? And so you can see how fast AIDS would move. So you have a virgin girl uh, who is clean as can be, doesn't have any diseases on board. And some guy would infect her because because he knew he had AIDS or had HIV, and he wanted to be rid of it. So his wife wouldn't look her about it when she got home. And he thought, hey, I'll just have sex with this virgin girl, pay her or something like that, and uh, I'll be clean, and everybody be clean. And now he just spread it all over the place. So they had a big problem in Uganda and those Tanzania and all the different countries that, that bordered or had a shoreline on Lake Victoria. So let's move on to uh, the uh, the situation in, in Virginia. Now, I, I wrote an article this week, and I referred to uh, James Gallagher, who's the assemblyman for District, is it District 1 in Yuba-Sutter counties, a couple other counties, not Nevada County. But he's our assemblyman. He lives here in Sutter County. And he did a a little video where they went over to Sutter Orchard Supply in Yuba City, and they showed him going in and meeting the the customer rep or the the employee. And they go to – there's an area in Sutter Orchard Supply that has guns and ammo. They they sell a lot of farm – they're a wonderful store. You can just find all kinds of cool stuff there. I love to go there and shop. But they have a gun and ammo area and uh, because a lot of people go in there and – and are hunters, and they buy their supplies there for ducks and all kinds of hunting. So anyway, he went in there to buy a couple boxes of shotgun shells, and he wanted to show the public, James Gallagher, the assemblyman, did, how, how what it's like with these new ridiculous laws that he voted against. And so he showed him showing, showing who he was with a, uh, a driver's license, and the guy said, well, sorry, 
this won't work for for this uh, background check I got to do on you because it gives a P.O. box. So anyway, I wrote about it in an article and I got a, a nasty gram from a guy who said, because I said in the article, um, I think I alluded to the fact that if if they looked you up on on their they, they now have a database, right, on whether you deserve to buy ammo. You just can't. We're just totally the Second Amendment, folks. I don't know whether you realize that it's it's gone. And unless you want to fight for it, it's gone. And they're going to have a fight here in a couple of days in Virginia. So what happened is they said you, you got to have a P.O. box or got to have a, a physical address. So you need to bring in something. So he went back and brought in his passport, his birth certificate, and I think something, I don't know whether it's a utility bill or something, tax tax bill, showing where he lived physically. He was able to buy his ammo. But I would mentioned in, this, in the newspaper article that if he didn't have a gun registered for what he was buying, I didn't think he could still buy the guns. And this guy called called and left a message telling me I didn't know what I was talking about and that that it uh, it didn't matter. In other words, you could just go buy ammo. It didn't matter whether you had a gun like that or not. Now, I went on the Internet. I've been studying today, looking at a lot of these, the rules of the gun laws in California. And honestly, I'm going to have to talk to an expert because there's a lot written about it by attorneys and newspapers. And it's more complicated. I think I got it right, but it's way more complicated than that. In fact, it says you can't leave your house. Like I can't, I don't have a concealed, I don't have any special permits or licenses, but I have guns. I've had them for 50 years. And, um, but I, they saying now that I cannot travel with those guns, like going, like out exposed. And, uh, in fact, I was, I had a problem with guys breaking in the warehouse out at Glad Tidings. And I, I asked Sheriff Durfer one day, Sheriff of Yuba County, I said, Hey, I want to go out and just plant myself in this warehouse, or I, I need to go down and check at night on the water. We're farming out there next to this warehouse, and I said, I think I'm going to run into some tweakers out there, and I want to shoot them. I was telling the sheriff this, and and I said, is there any problem if I got pulled over, if I had a, a weapon, a long gun, rifle, or shotgun in the front seat? He said, Lou, I wouldn't do that. He said, they're going to get arrested. I thought, isn't this amazing? We have a Second Amendment that that in no way suggests that the government should have anything to do with you having a weapon or ammo or or ever registering anything, keeping track of you uh, or your or whether you got to make sure you, that you tell them you're in a database. Like they say, if you're not in your database, one of the things I read about the gun thing, if you're not in the database, when they do this $1, you pay them a dollar, and they do the background check. In other words, that's just seeing if you're in the database. If you're not in the database, you've got to pay another $20 and fill out some forms to get in the database. Well, there's nothing in, in the Constitution. The government, the local governments, whether you call them a state, a county, uh, whatever are making up laws that are absolutely 180 degree opposed to the Second Amendment constitutional rights that we have. Now, those constitutional rights didn't give us the right. Those were just protecting the rights that our founding fathers felt that we got from God. So we do not have to go to the state of California, the state of Virginia or any state to say we deserve these rights. 
because we already got those rights. So my feeling is, uh, in fact, I had a guy, and I wrote about this in the paper. A guy told me he's a gun, a gun guy, and I was having a talk with him the other day, and we were talking about hunting and stuff. And he said that I said, you know, I would just go buy uh, shells out of state, which is now illegal. You cannot go buy shells in Nevada at Cabela's or one of these other big outdoor stores and drive them in here. You can't do that. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, you're now breaking the law again. That's totally contrary to the constitution of the United States. And, uh, but he told me, this guy said, there's there, people are saying that if they're watching Californians, cause you can tell if you got California plates and if you're in there and you're buying ammo, there are people from California law enforcement, oh, they're taking photos of license plates and stopping them at the agricultural inspection area coming back towards, uh, on 80 coming back into the into the uh, state of California. So anyway, it's a, I'm going to talk to you more about it and just and talk to you about what's happening in Virginia, which is a it's shocking. But actually what's happening in California, we're ahead of them. We're ahead of them and nobody is really doing anything about it except that the uh, I believe the NRA is filing a lawsuit that'll go to the Supreme Court. So uh we're at the end of our fourth segment 1 2 3 4 and so we're going to, uh, this is another Tucker Carlson segment. He's doing a five-part series, I believe, on what they call dystopia. Some of the other people are calling it shitopia. Uh, Tucker examined San Francisco's new district attorney. So get an, get an earful, eyeful here. And uh, we'll be right back and do our fifth segment in just a moment. All right. Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it. San Francisco is falling apart. The city is covered in filth and homeless encampments. A possible solution might be to elect prosecutors who would enforce the law. But last November, San Francisco voters did the opposite. On Wednesday, Chesa Boudin became the city's new district attorney. Boudin is a Yale-educated public defender who has never prosecuted a case. As a candidate, he promised to undermine our legal system by not enforcing various laws, including laws against prostitution. Here tonight is the fifth and final installment of our American Dystopia series. I'm scared for my safety. You never know what's coming around the corner. Yeah, kill me, motherfucker. Bit into my arm. I never block away. you. We're kind of in a free fall right now. Tony Montoya is a sergeant in San Francisco's police force and leader of the city's police union. Do you think criminals are happy that Boudin won the election? Oh, most definitely. As a candidate, Boudin promised that he would undermine existing laws by not enforcing them. His allies in the press call it criminal justice reform. He is not going to prosecute what he calls quality of life crimes. People in tents, loitering, vagrancy, drug dealing, drug use. He's just not going to focus on that. How did a person that's campaigning on not prosecuting prostitution and drug laws win an election? San Francisco's a funny place. <laughs> San Francisco voters elected him anyway, essentially doubling down on the city's policy of going easy on crime and criminals. But we can only do so much. You know, once we deliver that person to the jail or to the, the courts, people are back out on the streets uh, on the same shift. 
is not just quality of life crime. He plans to overlook serious crime as well. It's extremely disturbing because these are the type of crimes that make a community unlivable. The FBI says San Francisco is now one of the worst places in the country for child sex trafficking. And all it's doing is telling these people out there, come to San Francisco and pimp and pander your people because it's not a crime. The logic behind the approach is that existing laws are racist and therefore must not be enforced. So you push out the people who pay taxes, who pay rent, who purchase, who open small businesses, who have children. You push them out and then what stays? Well, that's the fifth and final installment in our series, American Dystopia, but it's not the end of our reporting from San Francisco or the state of California or from America's declining cities. Why? Because what's happening there could be happening in your neighborhood. The people doing it would very much like that. The only way to stop them, shine a light on what they're doing. And we're going to continue to. Our investigative reporting will continue all year. Rapper Cardi B says that she pays 40% of her income in taxes to the federal government every year. And she says she wants a receipt for how the government spends her tax money. Take a listen. Hey, so, you know, the government is taking 40% of my taxes. And Uncle Sam, I want to know what you're doing with my tax money. Because you know what I'm saying? Like, when you donate, like, when you donate to a kid from a foreign country, they give you updates of, what they doing with your donation. I want to know what you're doing with my tax money because I'm from New York and the streets is always dirty. We was voted the dirtiest city in America. What is y'all doing? There's still rats on the damn trains. I know y'all not spending it in no damn prison because y'all be giving niggas like two underwears, one jumpsuit for like five months. So what is y'all niggas doing with my money? What is y'all doing with my money i want to know i want receipts i want everything i want to know what y'all niggas doing with my money what is y'all niggas doing with my money uncle sam i want to know what doing with my money you want an itemized receipt of how government spends your tax money okay we've got one for you here are some of the things no joke that politicians use your tax money for Eight hundred seventy-four thousand five hundred three of your tax money to study the sexual habits of quails on cocaine $75,000 of your tax money to blow leaf blowers at lizards to see how they react. $700,000 of your tax money on research about getting zebrafish addicted to nicotine. $22 million of your tax money to improve the quality of Serbian cheese. $2.4 million of your tax money to study daydreaming. $15,000 of your tax money to fund a fictionalized opera about Prince Harry. $1.7 million of your tax money for holograms of dead comedians for a comedy show. $4.6 million of your tax money on lobster tail and crab. $292,000 of your tax money on ribeye and sirloin steak. $2.3 million of your tax money on snow crab. $676,000 of your tax money on golf carts. $2.1 million of your tax money on games and toys. $643,000 of your tax money on sofas. $1.7 million of your tax money on pianos, tubas, and trombones. $9.8 million of your tax money on workout equipment. And wait for it, $9,000 of your tax money on one fancy desk chair. That was your money. Politicians and our government spent on their high-flying lifestyle. You earned the money. 
they spent it on themselves. And that's just a tiny, tiny fraction of the most ridiculous things the government used your tax money to pay for. But here's my question for Cardi B. If you think high taxes are wasteful and unfair, and I agree, they are, then how can you support Bernie Sanders? Did you know Bernie Sanders supported a 70 to 90% income tax rate, and then he lied about it? Do you want to give government 90% of your income every year? Imagine how many snow crabs politicians can eat while watching coked up quail porn paid for by your money. Bernie Sanders wants to abolish billionaires. He demonizes millionaires like you, which means he wants to use the government to steal your money and give it to some freeloader who did not work for it. So what I would, I, what I would ask you is this, is that fair? You worked for the money. Is it fair for government to take that away? If not, then don't support high-taxing Democrats. When it's not always raining, there'll be days like this. When there's no one complaining, there'll be days like this. When everything falls into place, like the flick of a switch. Oh, my mama told me, there'll be days like Okay, so what's going on in, in Virginia? We have a Ralph Northam is the governor. And Ralph is a liberal, and he believes that guns ought to be in the uh, control of the government. And uh, and he says they have a legislature that has switched to being primarily, just like we have in California. They got a, a liberal governor, and they have a liberal legislature. So they said, we're coming after your guns. Basically, they've said that. And so now here we are in January. All these new people are on board. And um, so they have this event coming up uh, on January 20 called lobby day and and the gun rights people are saying we're coming to uh we're coming to town and we're going to have a big big protest uh there okay so now uh ralph northam is a real uh, he's a character and uh, he's the guy you know if if republicans did this they would never survive but ralph northam uh he was at a party and you know how some parties you dress up as um in a costume uh, costume party or whatever they call it. And so uh, Ralph Northam, who is white, dressed up like a black person, like a black clown. And he put black, whatever they put on your face to make you change it from white to black, some kind of coloring, right? Uh, makeup, black makeup. And he, he pretended to be a black person. But black people in the liberal side, they just give you a big pass as long as you're a liberal. Right. So he as long as he apologized, I, I apologize. I apologize. I apologize. Apologize. He got out of that one. Then he said on the radio that he felt that not only should abortion be legal at any time during a pregnancy, but if a, a family took a kid home and decided in a short period of time they wanted to still abort the kid, they should still be a bit of, uh, able to abort the child. Now, Northam is an amazing guy. He's a goofball. So. um so he has now, uh, he's declared, declared sort of a state of emergency in an executive order because he said there was violence that erupted in Charlottesville during a Unite the Right rally in 2017. And uh, he said there's credible th threats that armed militia groups plan to storm the Capitol during Monday's rally. That's the 20th. And so he announced that he is banning all weapons from Capitol Square for the day. Now, uh, 
This is going to be interesting. So he says, credible intelligence gathered by Virginia law enforcement agencies indicate that tens of thousands of advocates plan to converge on the Capitol Square. Um, and uh, they are, and other people are coming from outside the Commonwealth. That means outside the state. And they may be armed. And have as their purpose not peaceful assembly, but violence, rioting, and insurrection. So what's happening now is the government, the liberal government, a tyrannical government, is now, in other words, if you have a weapon, they're equaling, that equals violence, rioting, and insurrection. You understand what I'm saying? That just the fact that you own a weapon equals violence, rioting, and insurrection. Assuming that Virginia's Capitol Square and surrounding public areas are sheltered, safe places, assuring this, that they're sheltered, safe places for those who come to participate in the democratic process, as well as those who work on or near the Capitol is my greatest priority. So the anticipated effects of the potential convergence of tens of thousands of demonstrators in Capitol Square uh, constitute an emergency as described anyway gives a code the bottom line is he's describing a state of emergency because people that are against his belief are going to assemble now this is why the founding fathers said people have a right to assemble did you think the founding fathers and all those folks that were living at that time when they assembled left their guns at home hell no that's ridiculous so they didn't equal if you got a gun in your hand or in your pocket, that they didn't equal that or equate that with violence. That just like, hey, everybody's packing, right? Just like everybody's packing a credit card. So commander of chief, commander in chief of Commonwealth's armed forces, as that, uh, the governor, He's the governor, and he's director of emergency management and commander-in-chief of Commonwealth Armed Forces. I proclaim the state of emergency will exist starting on January 17 through January 21, 2020. So he is lay, laying down the threat right here, and I'm telling you what, I can't imagine that they're all going to show up and be obedient to this, right? Because I'm not feeling obedient myself, and I'm over here in California. If I want some shells— you think I'm going to go to Sutter Orchard Supply and go through all that rigmarole? No way. I'm going to go to Nevada. If I want a gun, I'm going to go to Nevada or Idaho buy a gun. I'm not going to buy a gun over here. I don't want to be on the grid. I want to buy. I want to have my secret gun. And I'm not going to go get. I, I like Wendell Anderson. I like Brandon Barnes over in Sutter County. I think they're honorable guys. And and but I am not going to go ask them for a concealed weapon permit. I am not going to go to one of these classes like Monty Hecker puts on and all this stuff. I am not going to go get a I'm not going to get a concealed weapon permit and I'm not going to go on the record. I have a right to carry a gun and I'm going to let it be a surprise to somebody comes in this house on whether they're going to get shot by a shotgun an AR-15 or hit by in the face by a baseball bat. It's going to be a surprise, 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 surprise. And I am not going to do that. And I'm encouraging anybody in California or any other state to to have an act of civil disobedience. Just embrace civil disobedience and just say, you know something? Uh, Now you're violating my constitutional rights, my God-given rights that were guaranteed by the Constitution to assemble and to pack a weapon if I want to. Now, the whole thing in not packing a weapon, in California— 
teenagers, little kids could pack weapons and go hunting. We used to walk right through town. That was not a problem. Nobody got roughed up. No one got hurt. Did anybody ever get m- murdered in Cal- in, uh, in Marisol, Yuba City? Yeah, people. a few people got murdered back in the day. Some people got shot. They didn't blame it on weapons. They blamed it on a nutcase. So uh, anyway, not only is uh, Northern Northam, it's not Northern, it's Northam. Not only is the governor uh, forbidding guns, but he's saying everything from sticks and bats to chains and projectiles. The list also includes firearms. It makes no sense to. Uh, to ban every other weapon, but allow firearms when intelligence shows that armed militia groups plan to storm the Capitol with firearms. The bottom line is they're going to they're going to enforce and and they're going to try to search people. Do you think these Virginians, these gnarly country boys are going to put up with that? It's fun. I can't imagine this thing working out. The rally has been planned as an open carry event. And turnout is expected to be massive on Monday. The state's Congress is expected to vote on a number of incredibly unpopular anti-gun laws. Um, So it's an open carry event. I'm telling you, we're going to have some. I don't think we're going to get out of these days, folks. I, I, I am not trying to start anything. I'm just saying I'm just an average guy. And I don't think we're going to get out of these situations without people getting hurt. Sad to say that. Don't like to see people get hurt. It's unfortunate. And and the sad thing is that most law enforcement are for Second Amendment rights. But they're stuck in the middle here trying to, and they took an oath to defend the Constitution. In fact, when I was on the school board, I had to take an oath to defend the Constitution. Then we turned right around in fact, we can't even get the local school, the local uh, boards of supervisors in Yuban Sutter County to take a stand against these sanctuary cities or take a stand and create a sanctuary city for that we're not going to follow these California laws. We can't get them to do that, nor can we get them to say, we are not going to, uh, we're, we're going to ask our uh, law enforcement to cooperate with ICE on illegal immigrants and criminals that are illegals in this country. I mean, if I was on the board of supervisors, I would make two moves. One is to say, we are not as we are not joining the sanctuary state. We're not a part of that. We're going to cooperate with law enforcement to arrest any illegals, wherever they come from. Number two, we are a sanctuary state or we are sanctuary County. Pardon me for guns. And we're going to, we're going to allow open carry. Forget forget uh, concealed weapons permit. Forget all that stuff, keeping track of people. That's nonsense. You want to keep track of a felon? You want to say to a felon who is a violent felon, you can't have bullets or guns? Fine. But to, to keep track of everybody else, it's totally un-American. It's not only uncool, it's flat un-American, and I don't care how patriotic whether you fought in the military and now you're sheriff's deputy, you're running, you're on the board of supervisors and you fought in Vietnam or Korea or you did something somewhere, Afghanistan. This is un-American, this whole gun thing. And it's, it's just total nonsense. Now, there's all kinds of propaganda 
going on. It's like Northern's declaration will also ban items like helmets and shields, items that some they're calling all the what they're doing is these citizens who are obedient, law abiding citizens. They're calling them white nationalists. So so what they're calling them hate groups and white nationalists. These are Virginians, people. These are citizens in Virginia that saying this we're not going for this. This this is tyranny. This is exactly what the founding fathers said. And now what they're saying, instead of they're calling them white nationalists, NBC did, USA Today did, NPR did. It's it's funky, folks. It's uh, it's called the the group that's sponsoring this event is U- Virginia Citizens Defense League. <laughs> Dedicated to defending your right to defend yourself in Virginia. Uh, they, uh, so it says here on a Facebook page in Virginia. So Virginia introduces a bundle of radical laws to destroy Second Amendment rights, militias, sale transfer and registration bills. And the people of Virginia say no. And we're going to vote you all out the next term. Um, So Virginia government responded by introducing a bill to eliminate voter ID. Virginia, then it says, Virginia says, we're not going to wait. We'll petition your removal from office. And uh, we're going to get a third of 240,000 signatures to remove the governor and start a petition to remove the delegates, which are assembly and senators, right? So they're saying, we're going to have enough signatures to recall you. So what's the Virginia government do? They they pass a law to raise the amount of signatures necessary from 10% to 25%. Now, if that isn't tyrannical, so the government just says, without any vote of the people, they just change the rules of government saying, Oh, you got that many signatures? In other words, that's the law that we have? Well, we're going to change the law so that we're not going to pay attention to that. I saw somewhere where the recall Gavin Newsom, uh, some of their some of the counties aren't willing to turn those signatures into the government. I thought, this is the same thing they're doing. So this article says, folks, or this is a textbook example of tyranny. We're the government, and we'll do anything we want whether you like it or not, we won't let you vote us out. We won't, won't let you remove us from office. And if you can, can't can possess the weapons that a militia would need to force us out of office, then there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. That's what it says on this Facebook site. And uh, so that's what's happening. So I'm telling you this week, this coming week, uh, we're going to see how it shakes down. So I want to, uh, let's see, we got one more segment. We got five minutes here, six minutes here. Then we got one more segment. So I want to go back up and do a little business. Uh, no hostages radio business. Uh, we're here because of a few people that really want us to be here and like the show. And uh, when it ever gets too few, we'll quit. But uh, we got a few people that not only like the show, but they support the show, and and one of them is I mentioned him earlier, Monty Hecker, who's a former military guy for the U.S. Air Force, 
uh, when he got out, he started Elite Universal Security, and which has grown from little old Yuba County, Yuba Duba, all the way up to into into Oregon and down below Sacramento. And he's just constantly looking. In fact, I saw an ad somewhere. I don't know if it was on Facebook or in the paper. He was soliciting. He said, "I need some workers." And I, in fact, I went into uh, the courthouse the other day to look up a couple warrants and ran into a guy I went to high school with it. That he said, oh, Lou, he said, I retired. And he said, I was bored to death. So I'm doing a little part-time work here with Monty. So he was checking people coming into the courthouse, seeing if they're all behaving themselves. So if you want a job with Elite Universal Security, maybe you're you're somewhat retired or you're on disability or something, you can do this job. You, he'll train you. He'll put you to work, and uh, they're doing patrols. They're doing, you know, walking around. They're they're doing government buildings. They're doing all kinds of stuff. So you can give them a, a shout out at five three zero seven four nine zero two eight zero seven four nine zero two eight zero. You think I've never done that before? How would you do that? I don't know anything about it. They'll train you. They got classes. They got classrooms. They will get it on. They got cars. They got classrooms. They'll do. They'll train you on your concealed weapons uh, aspect, the range days. They got the whole thing going on big time. You can go to api-academy.com. You can check it out there, api-academy.com. Also, I want to give a shout-out to Dave Greenitz, who does some of the most amazing kitchens, baths, entryways, um, decks. In fact, he did a deck I heard from Monty Hecker and uh, – came out really good and monty heard about him on the on the podcast here so it you know it's it always amazes me people go out and they'll 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 spend 10 20 dollars and they'll just pick somebody out of the blue to give them a bid and trust their house to them it's just shocking or they'll pick somebody that's a drug addict a lot of construction people are Drug, drug addicts or alcoholics and they got a drug addict in there working or they got gangbangers in there working on their place and you don't know who's lurking about right so th- the difference is if you hire greenest construction you're going to get a great job and and they're not going to be criminals that are working on your place or tweakers or alcoholics or people that know what they're doing you can trust your house when you're gone you can just let them loose in there I go to Vietnam, fly all over the world, and they just I give them a key to the house. And by the time I get home, everything's cool. And so you can reach Dave through com, green with E-T-Z on the end, construction.com. Or you could look at Facebook, Dave Greenitz Construction. Or if you're old school and you can actually have a conversation with a person without stuttering and, like, you know, having to smoke some weed – you can call him at 530-682-9602, and Dave will likely answer the phone. It won't be somebody else. If he's not, if he doesn't catch you live, he will call you right back because that's his habit, 530-682-9602. One of the problems with independent contractors is they're too independent. So you call them, they come out, they get you. Your, in fact, I had a guy come, one of my friends, Ted Holmes, he sent a guy over here. I needed some concrete work done. He came, looked over the whole job. I never heard from him again. The guy dropped right off the face of the earth. He fell into the Bermuda Triangle. And Ted was trying to help me find a guy to fix my concrete. And uh, I never heard from the guy again. He may have just come to pass. He may have assumed room temperature and just we, we cremated him and put him, just contributed back to the earth. So, uh, so that's Dave. And, uh, 
give him a shout out. Tell him he used to like roam around. And before he finally got a career and learned how to build, he used to fall around the Grateful Dead when Jerry Garcia was still alive. And uh, he was a groupie. And tell him to give you the deadhead discount from Lou. And finally, uh, Ted Holmes, I just saw, I was yesterday, I saw two of his vans in the morning. I was heading over to the uh, jail to do some classes, and two nice plumbing doctor trucks were pulling out onto 10th Street, and they were probably tackling a job together. So if you've got problems, in fact, I was thinking today, how can I cut down my water use? And I was thinking about plumbing doctor. They came in and put new toilets in here. They hardly did. They just take a little bit of water compared to those old 1930s toilets I had. And they were just like, you'd have to, the whole, when I flushed, the river actually would go down a little bit, just like suck that water. So the plumbing doctor can save you some money if you're, particularly if you're in the city of Marysville, when you're just getting ripped off on the water. They can put some low flow heads in. They can put some low flow Toilets in, change your shower heads, fix all your leaks. They just repair stuff for you. So you can reach the plumbing doctor at 671 We're going to take a break here, and then we're going to go to our last segment. And uh, this, is, this is a segment, a clip about the Virginia Second Amendment deal. So this is perfect timing. It's just going to... Ride right in my wake here today. All right, we'll be right back. Thank you for the chance to speak. I represent Virginians for Liberty and Justice. I have 2,000 members in my organization, but I come as a mother of five. My son is a United States Marine. My husband is a Marine. I have three brothers who are Marines. My godfather was a Marine who served in World War II and Korea. Patrick Henry said, I have but one lamp by which my feet are guided, and that is the lamp of experience. I know of no way of judging the future but by the past. The past has shown that there will always be those who try to undermine liberty. Some will do it by force, and others will do it through propaganda, fear, and a slow dumbing down of society creating a society who no longer know their God-given natural rights. A society that has forgotten or has never learned that we live in a constitutional republic, one where we, the people, created government. We were the creators, and a very limited government at that. We, the creators, never intended for our creation to have more power than we do. Society now believes that rights are given by the government and that something should be feared because the media attaches a scary name to it and told them to be fearful. Society now believes that more statutes and codes will keep them safe, that somehow restricting the rights of good people will make bad people less dangerous. We are very far from the gift of liberty that our framers gave to us. 
We live in a time when our public servants are now called public officials, trying to make us believe that we no longer hold the power. The Virginia State Legislatures of 1779 said that the number one job description of our oath takers was guardians of the state's sovereignty. Securing the sovereignty of Virginia means guardian the natural and alienable rights of every single Virginian. That includes the right to self-defense. The Second Amendment doesn't grant us this right. God did. The Second Amendment simply tells the government that they cannot impede on our rights. What part of shall not be infringed do they not understand? Just because a bill is passed and is made legal doesn't make it lawful. We have a moral obligation to our posterity to ignore unlawful acts and to fight tyranny. I have but one lamp by which my feet are guided, and that is the lamp of experience. I know of no way of judging the future but by the past, and that lamp will never allow me to forget the unarmed victims of Hitler, Stalin, Mao, and the many other victims of less famous tyrants throughout the world. And in case he's watching, Attorney General, although you think that you'll be able to bully us into compliance by falsely labeling us felons, may I remind you and every oath taker of the oath you swore, you are public servants and we are your employers with a moral duty and obligation to refuse and fight tyranny. Let us not forget that the people who hid Anne Frank were breaking the law and the people who killed her were following it. Thank you. Feeling about half past this Just need some place Where I can lay my head Hey mister can you tell me Where a man might find a bed He just grinned and shook my hand Knows all he said Alright here we go for our final segment And uh I always have a hard time with this segment because I wonder what should I talk about out of the things that I laid out because I always I always over prepare and get too much stuff to talk about. Then I have a tough time making a choice. So let me let me cover a couple things here. Man, there's some amazing stuff going on around the world. Let me see. Let me just share a couple things that are really positive things that are going on. This is out of a I, – I've, I've subscribed to a um, – I've mentioned Range magazine, Range. It comes out every other month. I, I love that magazine. I, I bought it for a lot of friends for gifts. Uh, that's one magazine. Sometimes people say, Lou, where do you get the information? A lot of it's come out, off the Internet, Internet publications. But I, I bre- uh, a few months ago I ordered – Epic Times, the Epic Times, the T H E Epic E P O C H Times. If you want to know what's going on, this is a great newspaper. They deliver it right to my mailbox. It comes once a week, and it's just chock full of great articles, great writers. I just think, oh my goodness, I just could sit back and drink coffee and not do anything the rest of my life and just read this newspaper and Range Magazine. Look out. So uh, just in, in inside the front page, it has great articles on the front page. On the inside of the, the, the left-hand side of the page, it has a lot of little short news. They call it news briefs. And I'm just going to give you a couple things here. 
that are very exciting. Biggest U.S. Wade. I don't care. You know, if if Obama was in office and he did this, I would be shouting, shouting from the housetops. I, I, I'm not that partisan. It says biggest U.S. wage growth in decade for the lowest paid workers. The income of the bottom 25 percent of U.S. wage earners are rising at the fastest rate of all groups of employees, according to the data provided by the Federal Reserve Bank. I won't get into all the details because it takes too much time, but it's very that's very encouraging. Um, also, a, I didn't get to this, but a huge number, again, of people are dropping off food stamps. Why? Because they're going to work. Even people that didn't want to go to work are going to work, it says. In fact, I, I think I mentioned last week a gal had a, a poster saying, stop Trump. I don't want to take a job. <laughs> it's like holding the gun. There's so many jobs out there. I see. In fact, I can't even remember where it was. I've been seeing help wanted signs all over the place. Uh, okay. So it says um, this is another really encouraging thing. This is the lowest count since records started being kept in the mid 1970s. Uh, the policy vice president for Competitive Inter- Enterprise Institute said the Federal Register closed the year. Now, the Federal Register is a is a, a, a journal where every act is written down of the Congress. So the Federal Register f- closed the year with with only two thousand nine hundred sixty four final rules within its pages as the Trump administration continues its effort to relieve American businesses of regulatory burden. Every, every new regulations has to be written down in that registry. And, and Trump promised he was going to eliminate, not only not add regulations, but eliminate regulations, but still uh, have safe work environments and environmentally friendly work environments. Now, here's another one that is shocking. And I'm going to write an article about something like this later. Instead of lobbying to change the law, this is Michelle Hannessy. Instead of lobbying to change the law, they just buy an elected official into office who won't uphold the law. And she said that's not democracy. Michelle Hannessy is president, deputy district attorneys association of Los Angeles County. Um. She is raising concerns about an effort by special interest groups to elect deputy district attorney candidates who have vowed to not to not enforce categories of laws in their effort to radically reshape the criminal justice system. That's exactly what Chesa Bodine is doing in the in the city of San Francisco. Uh, That's exactly what he's doing. He just says, oh, yeah, those are laws, but I'm not going to enforce them. Right. Not going to force them. Um, So anyway, that's that. Now, I want to talk to you about this, which it comes up every once in a while. An appeal Democrat in the uh, January 14 issue, second page, says supervisor candidate, former council member arrested for reportedly being drunk in public. So it's Jake Abbott wrote the article. He's been around for a while. And he says, former Yuba City Anyway, so John Buckland, who used to be with the Yuba City Police, retired there after many, many years, currently running for supervisor, Sutter County. He was reportedly drunk in public Friday night at Hard Rock Hotel and Casino Sacramento at Fire Mountain Property in Yuba County. So it's, it's a Yuba County gig. 
He was out there. So uh, the arrest report regarding the incident was pending as of Monday. So details as to what led to the arrest are, are unknown at this time. The arrest was made by Yuba County Sheriff's deputy who was working on site at the casino. I guess they maybe have an on-site deputy there now. At 7.30 at night, Buckland was booked in the Yuba County Jail for being drunk in public. The way they do it in Yuba County is if you're drunk in public, they book you, hold you until you sober up. Then they release you. No charges filed. They just turn it over to the district attorney's office to see if they want to do anything about it. That's different than they do in Sutter County, I understand. So I'm not going to get into My point is something else. So I'm going to go ahead and leave all that legalese and just let the that let the thing play itself out. So when the, I guess the, uh, somehow the appeal Democrat learned about it and they contacted uh, John Buckland and about their arrest. And he had a prepared statement. He says this on Jan- January. Now here's the deal. <clears throat> so either, I don't know why politicians don't just come more clean on stuff than this. And so if he wasn't drunk, just say he wasn't drunk, right? Say, that's this, this is a big mistake. I wasn't drunk, and it'll be proven in court. And you, know, just, you can do that in 25 words. Instead, we get this. On January 10th, I had an occasion to meet a business client in the park. Now, this sounds weird to me. I was going to meet a business client in the parking lot. What was he going to do, hand off some weed? Was he going to hand off a gun? What would you meet in the, in the parking lot? of the casino way out in the boondocks and you live over in Yuba city. It just sounds suspicious to me. I thought, John, you need a publicist, whoever's running your campaign for God's sake. So I'm going to meet a business client in the parking lot of the casino on the 40 mile road to exchange business related items. Now that sounds just so suspicious to me. It sounds like if I told that to John and he pulled me over, he wouldn't buy it. I thought, what in the world? Why would he write something like that? At the conclusion of the meeting, I entered the casino. Like, I had to take, he didn't say I had to take a pee. That would probably be my case. I'd have to take a pee. If I drove out there, I thought, man, I can't get all the way back to town. I got to take a pee. Anyways, at the conclusion of the meeting, I entered the casino. The duration of the stay was relatively short. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean 30 seconds, 5 minutes, 25 minutes, 4 hours? If you're if you're telling your wife, it was probably four hours, and you said, "Oh, it's relatively short." She said, "Well, how short was it?" I entered. <laughs> Unbelievable. Upon exiting the casino, I encountered an unprecedented response to an incident. I don't even know what this means. I if your kid wrote this in English, in English class, I'd say, "What in the world are you trying to say here?" I encountered an unprecedented response to an incident in the parking lot. Does that mean a meteorite hit you in the face? Holy mackerel! We're talking about a Yuba County Sheriff's deputy. We're not talking about a rent a cop, right? A casino security guy, right? They're different. Casino security people are not trained sheriff's deputies. I was taken into custody after he he says he encountered an unprecedented response. In other words, a cop came up to him to an incident in the parking lot. I was taken into custody for public intoxication of alcohol or drugs. Which was it? Do we have we have a mixture on board here, buddy? I was released from custody without criminal charges filed. That's because Yuba County doesn't do that. 
That's their policy. They don't file charges. They just sober you up, kick you out, and, and notate it, right? I'm currently working with a civil attorney to investigate and recover evidence in the matter. My attorney, thank you, Jesus, is experienced in activities on tribal lands. Well, now we got to have that because we tried to tell everybody years ago that when you get arrested on tribal lands, it may be different than when you get arrested on untribal lands, like in Marysville. And he and only he, my attorney, that he doesn't disclose, it's a secret because he's a specialist. He is a... Um, a scout for attorneys on tribal lands. And he and only he will release information deemed appropriate at the conclusion of his investigation. So we now are having a separate investigation other than a police investigation to see what really happened. Buckland worked and then it says what he used to do. John Buckland used to do this, that, and the other thing. So anyway, it's a sad thing. Uh, did you know that drinking adult beverages, if you're 21 or above, is okay? It's okay. But when people <clears throat> drink and drive, which I think it's probably a blessing that John didn't drive out of the casino, even though he was there for an incredibly, a relatively, the duration of the stay was a relatively short period of time. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming he arrived there sober, but you don't know. He could have had some he had, could have had some adult beverages on board when he drove out there, but he, he went in the casino. He either went in there to play the slots, take a pee, get a sandwich, or maybe have a little drink of adult beverages. Regardless, somebody thought he is publicly intoxicated. He's not. It's, that means he wasn't intoxicated secretly. He was publicly under the influence and so they arrested him, and I was told that when he came into the the jail that he was not only scuffed up, which means that it wasn't a peaceful encounter, but he was gnarly with the medical staff and the the law enforcement people that work inside the jail. Now, the reason I bring this up, I have uh, been a drug user and an alcohol abuser, and then I quit. I had a come to Jesus moment in 1971, late 71, and I haven't em embarked upon drugs or taken any on. I haven't taken a hit off weed, did any LSD, drank whiskey, beer or anything since I've been, as they say, abstinent, not because I'm a better person, but I just felt like Jesus didn't want me to get drunk. And I, I was done with that lifestyle. OK, I'm not a better person. I'm just a sinner. Uh, saved by Jesus. So I understand about drinking and driving. I've done it all. I haven't been arrested for drinking and driving. So I'm not saying I'm better than this guy, but I just think making a big hullabaloo. And, and the thing is that got my attention is I work uh, as a volunteer at the Yuba County Jail, and I like the people over there. The The workers are kind people, and they they work hard. And they help. They try their best to help inmates, and it's a rough job. Some days I'm going in there, people are screaming obscenities and profanities and and screaming at the top of their lungs, and uh, they're they're peeing themselves and vomiting, and they're they're 
having a poop right in their pants, right in there. They're so screwed up. It's just a big mess. It's just a gnarly mess. And to have uh, now, I understand, uh, even though a person's supposed to be a, a, a political representative, a leader in our community, uh, and should be representing himself with integrity and distinction, I understand because <clears throat> I've known people that when they drank, they went nuts. When they were sober, they were nice as can be, and when they drank, they were just nuts. So. I've met that people. And then I've had people in my life, my dad particularly, who was a nice guy when he was sober, and he was a nice guy with five cocktails on board. He was just a nice guy. That's the way I was raised. A guy could ha- handle his liquor and behaved himself and never was mouthy or never was arrogant and didn't, didn't ever lay hands on anybody. However, when people, all of a sudden we got people that, that – uh, supposedly had a little incident out there. Now, whether anybody's going to file any charges or that's going to say the guy just had a bad moment in his life. But I'm just wondering, you know, it's interesting if he scuffled with the deputy. Now, here's the odd thing. A number of police officers and deputies that I'm friends with have had broken arms, broken ankles, busted up backs, and has actually lost their career over getting busted up. In fact, I bet that that uh, John Buckland got busted up a couple times. So I'm hoping that Mr. Buckland did not scrap with the, with the sheriff's deputy. And I hope that the sheriff's deputy, whomever that was, did not get injured out of trying to just keep a guy that should know better from um, doing something weird. I don't know that. I don't know the situation. I haven't talked to the law enforcement about it, but I have talked to people at the jail who said, uh, we probably won't vote for that guy for supervisor, right? The way he treated us. Now, it's just sad the way it turned out. I'm sad it happened, but I, I would recommend to all you out there that have a problem and can't get out to the Hard Rock Cafe and back sober. I don't know how many drinks a guy can have. One or two drinks, I think maybe he could get back and forth. If I drank one drink, a beer... I wouldn't I need a designated driver. I'm I've been abstinent too long and uh and I don't even like alcohol. Some people really like it and some people are just addicted to it. And maybe Mr. uh Buckland has an addiction problem. But you know, the nice thing about America is you can fix anything you want. You want to get rid of alcohol, you want to get rid of drugs, you got a sex addiction. You are a old bitter, angry person. You can you have your you got they got anger management courses they got management courses in america america's amazing you can just manage everything you can fix anything you can manage anything i tell people at the jail i said i surround myself with professionals i got people to fix my teeth fix my eyes uh, give me a haircut if i needed one i don't really need those anymore but i got people that will uh give me legal counsel spiritual counsel uh, fix my car. I got specialists. I got, you know, fix, put a new knee in if I need it. If I need to sew my shoulder back together, old Dr. Berkey will put that shoulder back together. It'll work better than from the factory. They're just people. If you surround yourself with the right people, you can fix any problem you got. Get yourself saved and full of the Holy Ghost and go into heaven when you used to be just a gnarly, old, angry person. So I, ho- I wish the best, but I feel bad, and I think Mr. Buckland owes the Yuba County 
correctional officers a big apology and buy them all lunch. That's what I would suggest if you wanted to make amends. So I just leave that thought with you. Hallelujah to you. And uh, we need to be kind to people, right? And I have not met many people that got arrested for drunkenness that were overly kind, unless they were the sloppy, crying, drunk type person that felt like the whole the whole world was against them. Let me see if there's any. Oh, by the way, I'm so happy. I think we just have like two minutes left. I am bummed that when people can't support themselves in America, I tell kids in juvenile hall, if you can't survive in America, don't try to cross the border because you're going to get your butt kicked. And I am so sad when I see people paying at the grocery store and they can't, they don't have any money to pay with. They got to pay with an EBT card or they got some kind of WIC stamps. But this uh, article says that, Flourishing Trump economy lifts more than 6 million more people off food stamps. Department of Agriculture said 6.4 fewer Americans received food stamps in September at the end of 2019 fiscal year. Then compared to January 2017, roughly 42.7 million people were enrolled in SNAP in January 2017, compared to 36.3 million last September. These are people, folks, that cannot feed themselves. Of all countries that you cannot feed yourself, they cannot come up with enough money to put a sandwich in their mouth in America. Is that sad or what? We got free education. You could go to a free first year of college at Yuba College. You could go to tech schools. You can work in farming. You can drive truck. You can drive so many things. There's people wanting workers everywhere. This says there's a 15% drop also meant that SNAP, which is administered by states but funded by the federal government, now cost Americans third. You think, oh, I hate Trump. Well, people, you know what I find? People don't give a crap about anything. This is $13 billion less that are being used for food stamps that could go to something else. They already took the money. Right. If they were being hopefully they aren't going to study quails on on having sex while on cocaine or something like that, or how long a snake is. The White House noted last month that not only have Americans previously classified as unemployed, found jobs. Those who weren't even seeking work are now working. We just drug them right out of their bed, hosed them down outside, put a pair of shoes on them, put some slick them in their hair and sent them on down the road to the work. Now they're actually they're going to add work requirements to get SNAP on single guys from 18 to 48, 49 without dependents. Single guy doesn't have any family, doesn't have any kids. Hey, you can they're going to limit the amount of benefits they can get. You're not going to be able to just and you're going to have to work at least 20 hours per week. Go out there and get a job. Uh, Let's see. Anyway, I think that's about it. I think I think we're we're about done here today. So anyway, again, if you want to uh, if you want to check into tip, be a tip volunteer, be something really fulfilling for you to do. If you're cut out for it, dial me up at seven one three one eight three eight five three zero. All you up there, and uh, or you can uh, shoot me a text five three zero seven one three one eight three one eight three eight. One eight three eight eighteen thirty eight. So any of you guys up there in Washington, Oregon, Florida, 
Idaho, Utah, Nevada. Hope you're doing good over there. I know you're hardly, if you got any extra money because you you're paying so little for gas, you can donate it to trauma intervention if you want. And you could send it to P.O. Box 645. All you, they're only spending like $2 a gallon or a dollar and a half out there. You should be ashamed of yourself spending so little for gas. And I just got my, I got, I drive an old car. I got, going to have to re-register it. You know, some places you only have to get a registration every other year. Did you know that? Only have to re-up. And it's like 10 times less in some of these states, just right around us. Getting totally screwed by this government. All right, go over there, Nevada, buy your guns, Utah, Idaho, buy your guns, buy your ammo, come in here and, and just give yourself a party. Civil, it's called civil disobedience. Our, and, and I'm telling you, our forefathers will roll over in their graves and give you a high five. All right, see you next week, Lord willing, uh, and uh, be a Saturday. Okay, God bless you. Catch you later. We're so glad to see so many of you lovely people here tonight. We would especially like to welcome all the representatives of Illinois' law enforcement community who have chosen to join us here in the Palace Hotel Ballroom at this time. We certainly hope you all enjoy the show. And remember, people, that no matter who you are and what you do to live, thrive, and survive, there's still some things that make us all the same. You, me, them. Sugar to kiss.